0: Blog Talk Radio Ladies and Gentlemen, Thomas de Caballero.
1: Leave it in the ring radio network of David Duenas. I'm your co host, Steve K9 Kim. And joining me from up north, Golden Gate, Gabe Montoya. And Gabe, here I thought we we're going to talk about one of the more entertaining, exciting heavyweight title fights in recent memory. A very busy weekend of boxing and a couple of cards to look forward to this upcoming weekend on ESPN and Showtime. But instead, this afternoon, it was released by Golden Boy through a statement that Saul Canelo Alvarez, who's looking ahead to his May 5th rematch with Gennady Golovkin, has tested positive for clenbuterol. Now, programming reminder, in a few minutes, Victor Conte will be on with us to talk about this, and we'll ask him some questions regarding the situation. But, Gabe, you're the expert out of the two of us when it comes to this type of stuff. Your immediate reactions.
0: Um...
2: I mean, there's you know there is truth to uh, as Victor even put out in his timeline just about a half hour ago, uh, you know it was like a study in, in 2016 of, uh, of factories in Mexico and out of 258 I believe were, were uh, you know had levels of clenbuterol or used clenbuterol had that contamination in, you know in their product, so it's not uncommon. It, it dates back. I mean, we've been writing about this or talking about this since Eric Morales tested positive. Uh, for Clem Buterol in his rematch with Danny Garcia. Uh, and then, the, you know, the fight, I think he tested positive, what, twice? And then the fight still went on. Uh, and he based his defense on the fact that uh, I think a couple of years before that, uh, or a few years before that, the Mexican soccer team uh, had, uh, you know, an outbreak of Clem contamination. Uh, a bunch of their positives came up, and, and th- that's how they were able to defend themselves and be exonerated. So my immediate thoughts is just that that long history. I mean, you, you, but you look at the dark art uh, use of uh What it does is um, it's like a, a vasodilator. You know, uh, I believe it's like a like a used for like maybe asthma, uh, or it can be used for that. And it basically opens up your your breathing passages. But it also uh, burns fat, and it helps you build lean you know mass essentially, build strength. Uh, so it does have use. There's a reason why people, you know, uh, from, from baseball and boxing, uh, soccer, uh, why guys test positive for it. You know, they use the com- the contamination thing because there's precedent for it, but, uh, you know, there's also this other use for it. It absolutely, you know, uh, has benefits. So uh, I'm not condemning the guy. They, but I have a lot of questions, though.
0: Uh,
2: I don't think Golden Boy should be the one framing because, you know, that quote from uh, Dr. Eichner uh, from the Salt Lake lab was very carefully crafted. Uh, you know, they, these are you know, trace amounts that, uh, are, uh, you know, consistent with contamination. But, you know, w- when was this sample taken? Uh, how many times did he, did he test positive or you know, negative before and then positive, uh, you know, uh, afterwards and then negative again, like what is the sequence of events here? Uh, and you know, I mean, he was on the road, You know, uh, where was it that he ate? And and did they, like, get get the meat and test it to see if it had butyrol in it? Or are they determining this based on case history? And,
1: Gabe, we joked about it a week or two ago, but I think if you're a Mexican athlete who's going to be drug tested, there's enough evidence, whether it's circumstantial or it's precedent, don't eat the meat. I I mean, honestly, I'm not ruling out anything. I I am not Sherlock Holmes. I don't have all the information. I'm not an expert. I'll let the people that get paid the big bucks figure it out. My understanding is, in talking to both Tom LaFleur and Eric Gomez, as of now, this fight is on. I I just look at this, and there is that old phrase, too big to fail? Well, sometimes fights are too big to be postponed. And, Gabe, let's be honest, Las Vegas is ruled by the money. They are not moralists. I would be stunned if this fight is postponed. And Gabe Montoya right now is actually yeah. getting Victor Conte on the line. He'll join us to talk about the Saul Alvarez situation. It was revealed today by Golden Boy in a statement that he has tested positive for clenbuterol. Gabe, is Mr. Conte
0: I'm there? Still,
2: still working on it. It's, uh, it's, it's ringing. Just one second.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, anyway, if you want to call in later, it's going to be a while, but that number is 347 215 7598. And I already see some tweets you could add on to the discussion at Steve UCN Live and at Gabriel underscore Montoya. And eventually we will talk about the big Showtime card where Deontay Wilder pulls one out of the fire against Louis Ortiz. And give us your thoughts on Sergey Kovalev and Dimitri B-Ball's victory. And then once again we have competing shows this Saturday night from ESPN at the StubHub Center where everyone here is doing an yeah, anti-rain dance. It's 50-50 and also a card in San Antonio. Televised by Showtime. Gabe is our esteemed guest on the line.
3: Uh, yes, he is. Can you hear us?
4: G- Victor. Victor. I see on the phone. Victor, yes, how you doing?
1: Yes, absolutely. Does, Victor, is- let's get right into it. As the news came out today uh, in a statement released by Golden Boy Promotions, some of your thoughts, are you surprised by this in any way?
4: No, not at all. If you look back uh, a couple of years ago, an identical situation developed with a fighter that I was working with and continue to work with, Francisco Vargas. And he was in Mexico, and he tested positive for trace amounts of uh, clinbuterol. And then they you know, decided that they would accelerate the testing program, and he would move his camp from Mexico to the United States and uh, the fight was allowed to continue, and that's exactly what we're seeing here with Canelo.
1: Do you tend to believe Canelo's story
4: or what's being put out well, by I Golden do. Boy? I, I do, I do, and, the, and part of the reason is because the director of the water accredited lab in, in Salt Lake City came out and said that you know, these were trace amounts, and you have to understand that you have trace, and trace is considered parts per million, then you have ultra trace, um, concentrations, which would be in the parts per billion and parts per trillion. So these are way, way down. And the, the cutoff, I think, is is like two parts per trillion. So these are very low concentrations. And, and you know, he said they're consistent with, uh, with the consumption of contaminated meat. This has been a problem for a long time. And back in 2016, they did a a study of the 200 slaughterhouses in Mexico and found that 58 of them, so whatever that is, close to 30%, were producing meat uh, that would cause a positive drug test that was contaminated. So this has been a problem in Mexico and Brazil, uh, many countries uh, back in 2011 or 12. There were five um, Mexican soccer players that said that they tested positive as a result of eating contaminated meat, and they did an an investigation, and they they appealed this all the way to CAS, Court of Arbitration for Sport, which is the equivalent of the Supreme Court in the world of sport, and they were exonerated. So, you know, based on the fact that the director of the lab said they found trace amounts, if it would have been very high concentrations, that would be different. But in these ultra trace concentrations, I, my opinion is that it's likely that it did in fact come from contaminated meat. Gabe,
3: uh, uh, you know, Daniel Eichner, the director of the SMRTL uh, lab that, that did all the you know, handled the testing here, he said in the the press release, these values all fall within the range of what is expected for meat contamination. Uh, I'm just curious, does he look at is he just looking at the values then in, in this case, do you think? Or do they try to determine where he got contaminated and go test that meat? How far do these, how do these investigations work?
4: Well, this, in this particular case, there hasn't been adequate time to go investigate uh, the sources and go into the same restaurant and, or, or purchase meat at the same place that it was purchased. So this is just, in my opinion, it's simply based upon these ultra-trace concentrations found in a urine sample, and they realize the fight's a couple months out and they carried forward and, and decided um, after the appropriate uh, parties were informed to make an announcement.
3: Let me play devil's advocate then. Just, they, you know, the, the contaminated meat is just convenient because of the history. It, at this point in training camp with the fight uh, this far out, what, what, what could you use clenbuterol for? Would that be a, 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 a worthy drug to be using at this point or worthwhile, well, I should say? The quick
4: answer is it's a very potent and effective drug that would assist a boxer greatly. So it's, it's what they call an asthma medication or a bronchodilator, and it will, I've taken it myself uh, back in the day, and it will accelerate your heart rate, but it uh, it's not uh, classified as an anabolic steroid, but it is called an anabolic agent, and that means that it, uh you know, helps to prevent protein degradation or the loss of muscle mass, which means with training that you increase muscle mass, and it also burns body fat. So it would be a very effective drug that would make you more lean and make you faster and stronger, uh, exactly what a boxer would want. Uh, it would assist with, you know, cutting weight. So uh, would it be something that if there was intent to cheat that would be an effective uh, PED? The answer is yes.
1: Victor, I know that there is talk now of doing accelerated, heightened testing for Canelo starting now, based on the findings that that we know about. Does that do anything at this point? If he's already cycled off of whatever he might be on, if he was doing anything illegal?
4: Well, probably not, because at this point, he's certainly going to be watching the sources of meat, you know, he should ship the chicken and fish and and at least until he gets here into the United States because, like I said before, uh, probably 30% of the meat that you eat in Mexico is contaminated. So, you know, any time that you accelerate the testing, and and listen, they are frequently tested like once or twice weekly uh, for these eight-week periods, uh, that they start out from the fight. Now is not the problem when they're in the testing pr- uh, pool, the eight weeks before the fight. It's what have they been doing the last four months? That's that's where they've had the opportunity. Now here we are eight weeks out and they're just starting uh, to do the testing. This I'm I'm not sure, but this may be one of the first uh, tests that they've been done. And could it uh, be that? He was, in fact, using this, and and there are just trace amounts, uh, uh, you know, with intent to cheat, and there are just trace amounts there left. That's also a possibility. So I don't like the fact that these sorts of athletes making millions of dollars like Canelo and Triple G, they're duping the boxing public by, you know, suggesting that this is effective testing when it's not. They fought the last time, thereafter, There's absolutely no testing for four months. they got a green light. They can do anything that they choose to do and simply taper off in time for these drugs to clear. And smart people know the clearance times for the majority of these drugs. And then by the time they start this eight-week period, a short window before the fight, of course, they're going to test clean. But we don't know what they've been doing for the last four months.
3: Well, Dan Raphael reports that February 17th and the 20th is when Canelo tested positive. No, Six. two times. Two times.
4: Well, if you remember back whatever year it was with the uh, Eric Morales the case in New York, you remember that they tested and then they tested and they were testing all the way until the weak. last minute before the, fight yeah. the night before, before they finally got one that wasn't there. And you have to understand that, that for the most part, these types of drugs, they measure, it's qualitative. You know, it, it's more, you're either pregnant or you're not. It's there or it's not. Uh, they do have, when I'm talking about these concentrations, it's not a real accurate number, but they do call it semi-quantitative. So there is some indication of the the concentration. You know, is it a massively high amount that would indicate um, intent to cheat, or is it an, an amount that would be consistent with consuming this in a meat source?
1: Victor, with the history of the contaminated meat shouldn't all athletes who train in Mexico just simply stay away from it or have something shipped in? I mean, is ignorance really a dis- well, uh, an excuse at this point?
4: Listen, I'm going to you know, tell you something that, uh, in general, what I think about boxing, and I'd like to bring up another topic here about the consultation that most boxers get. Uh, based on this story, um, they showed, it was in the, uh, the daily in the U.K., they show a picture of, canelo wearing one of these uh, cheap elevation masks and i've seen uh, anthony joshua also wearing one and the bottom line is they just do not work they're not effective and the downside is that you rebreathe metabolic waste byproducts lactic acid ammonia carbon dioxide toxins that are bad for you so who is this that is advising people like canelo and Joshua to use these types of cheap maths that are not only false. So uh, they call boxing the sweet science, but I think it's, for the most part, anything but scientific. So I don't know why he doesn't have, Canelo doesn't have people around him advising him, knowing what I stated earlier in this discussion, that 30% of the meat that you eat in Mexico is going to be contaminated. Why would they not take precautions? I I don't know. I don't get it. It it just seems like uh, lots of boxers above and beyond Canelo and people like uh, Joshua get very bad advice and poor consultation.
1: Uh, Victor, a couple of questions here from the Twitter timeline. Here's one from DIS. If the meat in Mexico is tainted, why did he start eating meat for this fight? He did not test positive before
0: a very good question
4: maybe you you know like I say if 30 percent contaminated seventy percent not and maybe previous times it was a lucky draw this time he, he made a mistake you know there there in the one case an example in in Brazil years ago that brought uh, contaminated uh, this sort of stuff to the to the uh, public's attention, is it was in meatballs, in a spaghetti sauce in, in Brazil. And, of course, they, they eventually went there and found out the source of this specific restaurant's meat, and they tested it through investigation and found out that, sure enough, it was contaminated. So it's like playing Russian roulette. So if you're involved in testing like this, I I don't know why people would not take steps to to make sure that that he's not consuming a food source that's going to cause a positive test and all this uproar.
1: And here's another tweet from Three Piece Boxing, Jimmy's Corner, not accusing Canelo of anything, but ultra-traces is what you'd find if you were using masking agents, too. Is there validity to that statement, Victor, in your opinion?
4: I've, I've really never heard of, of clenbuterol being used as a masking agent. Typically, those are more what they call loop diuretics that push water out and other metabolites and so on. It does, in fact, raise your heart rate and increase your, your basic metabolic rate, so that would increase the, uh, the frequency of urination. And, and, you know, there may be some uh, effect in terms of pushing the metabolites out, but I don't think it's commonly used as a as a um a masking agent there it's used more often with intent to cheat
3: well I think the tweet means that the, that the ultra trace amount of quimputerol is what you'd find if you were using a masking agent yeah, think he's accusing him of of flushing the thing but you know I mean it's speculation I, I think you kind of have to go with the history the case history, don't you at this point i mean uh so well, that-
4: that's why exactly why at the beginning of this discussion I brought up the case of Fernando Vargas. It's all it's identical. It's the exact same drug he, he was training in Mexico, Vada took the exact same action to accelerate the testing. There's no difference. They're, they're identical.
1: And, Victor, I think you mean Francisco Vargas, and that was back in 2016 prior to his fight with Orlando Salido. But, Victor, you had been saying last week, and it was almost prescient that these comments came at that point, but you basically said for all these people that say such-and-such fighter does Vada, that is a comment in your view, is it not?
4: Say that again. You cut out for just a moment.
1: When such-and-such fighter always does Vada – As if that's some sort of seal of housekeeping approval that he has to be clean. You feel as though that's actually a very misleading statement if it's not 24-7, 365 testing.
4: Well, even when it is 24-7, 365 testing, it's misleading. There are lots of things that people can do. They microdose with testosterone. They, they use IGF-1 long R3. They do stem cell injections. There's all sorts of things that people can do to circumvent the testing. So is it foolproof? No, it's not. But, but is a you know, random 24-7, 365 uh, program more effective than what they do now? And of course the answer is yes. And way back in the day, in the 2012-13 time frame, if you recall, no need to for a couple of years, and Edwin Rodriguez both did enrolled and did the, the random testing year-round. But since then, none of these top fighters, the Canelos, the Triple Gs, the, they don't do the 365. They do what they're forced to do, but why don't they step up and lead by example and just simply enroll. It's not that expensive. It's in the neighborhood of twenty thousand dollars a year, where you test these two guys for a couple months, and maybe it's going to cost you sixteen to eighteen for both. So you pay you know eight nine
5: thousand dollars
4: per athlete, where they could both do twenty four seven three sixty five testing for for forty. So that's what would give a greater degree of confidence to the boxing fans is that that these athletes are in this. Why doesn't one of them step up and lead by example? And I can tell you, Floyd Mayweather did not lead by example because he did not do 24-7, 365. This still needs to some leadership in boxing. And, and I, why they don't do it, I don't know. Boxing scribes like yourself need to be asking these sorts of questions.
0: Yeah, I, uh,
3: what are your thoughts? I mean, you and I have talked about this um,
0: the, the idea
3: of VADA, I mean, at this point, like we, we're like eight years past. Our very first interview was like June of 2010, and I talked to you about 365 testing. What we've got now with the, the WBA's proposed plan, I don't know if it's actually begun, but the WBC has their, their VADA uh, clean boxing program. Do you think it's enough? The, do you think more money needs to be poured in so that the, the, the testing increases? Because the number seems to be pretty low of overall who gets tested, right?
4: Well, that's my understanding, is they, they may have 250 fighters enrolled in these programs, you know, whatever it is, 10 deep and whatever it is, 17 weight divisions, but the actual number that are being tested is close to 10%. So what about the other 90%? What are they up to? And another thing that needs to be explored, I'd like to see, see somebody step up and, and uh, provide this type of information – what happens if there's a mis-test? There, there's no transparency. We don't know. And what is the length of time that you're allowed to get? So let's just say in Olympic sport, you're allowed 2 missed mis-tests in a year, and the third one's a positive. But in boxing, let's just say that VADA, theoretically, that it's only one missed test We never know about that. So if they're not where they say they're going to be on their whereabouts form, that this is not transparent, so you don't really know. So can you take a strike, so to speak, and then still hit a home run? With today's testing, you certainly can.
1: Victor, I don't know if this has anything to do with the Canelo situation, but do you think drug testing now, that everyone should be incorporating hair samples?
4: Well, I do. Boy, that's that's a great question, and there's a lot of research uh, indicating that it's a scientifically valid sample. And recently, with uh, Luis Ortiz, his team um, did everything in their power and, and contacted me, and I contacted the uh, water accredited lab in Salt Lake City that had found the, the same ones that found this this clenbuterol positive for Canelo's, also the group that did the testing for Ortiz. And they were willing to do this, and and I got pricing, and and then we presented this to Margaret Goodman, uh, and she said, well, we're not set up to do this sort of testing at this time, and they refused to do it. Do I believe that they should do it? Trust me. Hair is an excretory sample, much like urine. So if you could collect urine for, say, six months, and then mix it up thoroughly and pour off a little aliquot or sample, and then test it, This is what you would find when you test a hair sample, because it represents the chronic, long-term, historical perspective. So if you've been using drugs and they ask you to collect a hair sample, well, if you're not clean, you'd be crazy to do it. So do I think that they should incorporate this hair sample? I absolutely do, and maybe once every six months or, you know, it's adjunctive. It would be in addition to blood and urine, but I think that hair is a valid sample, and I would like to see that be included in these testing uh, programs that exist for boxing.
3: Do you think the fact that this got handled just in a press release and and the fight's just going to roll forward, uh, it's kind of like the UFC, the way they used to handle things as their own commission. Does this show that that, – what are your thoughts on that? I mean, should it go to the commission and be ruled on
4: well, I, I think what you do is you take a look at the, the normal concentrations found uh, in a high percentage of these boxers, and whatever that is, if that's X number of nanograms per, per milliliter or parts per trillion, uh, similar to what they did with marijuana. It used to be 15 micrograms. And all of a sudden they realized they were getting way too many positives and it didn't have anything to do with performance. And so they, they arbitrarily decided that they would put a cutoff limit and at 150. So they raised the, the, the allowable limit by tenfold. Now, that's not the only drug that they do this for. Another example would be caffeine. You can't. If you've got, you know, the equivalent of a thousand milligrams, or if you consume a thousand milligrams of caffeine, you know, a cup of coffees, maybe regular coffee would be fifty milligrams, and and a you know a, a cappuccino would be you know one hundred and fifty milligrams. So if you if you drank you know eight to ten cups of coffee, you can test positive for caffeine as well. So it's not that they they. So they have an allowable limit that's reasonable. So I personally think for nandrolone, for clenbuterol, for some of these uh, substances that you're finding in meat, and it's that they should just simply raise the allowable limit and and uh, you know consider these to be without intent to cheat. Now I understand that the taper period and all that, but my suggestion would be uh, in conjunction with some of these fighters that can't afford it that are making millions of dollars they can afford $20,000 a year to be in a 24/7 365 program so i think that uh, hair should be included i also think that that they should uh, raise the allowable limit you know not to anything outrageous where there are a lot of people are flying under the radar but i think they should uh, get away uh, not without creating such a an uproar and and everybody out there making all these accusations and and based on
3: ultra, ultra concentrations. Last thing, uh, for for me anyway, Victor, uh, last night Icarus won the Oscar, uh, the movie about the Russian doping scandal and the the whistleblower uh, scientist. I was curious about your thoughts on that and just even the idea that, oh good, we caught the Russians, now we've caught all the dopers. Do you think uh, there's other doping programs, maybe not quite as aggressive, but uh, along the same, you know, uh, lines morally.
4: Well, that's a very interesting question for me personally, because Brian Fogle that made the movie, uh, his first stop was to meet with me. And I gave him lots of uh, contacts, Dick Pound and others that, uh, uh, Don Catlin, others that really led to him meeting uh, Gregory uh, Redchenkov in, in, uh, In the Moscow lab in Russia And in fact they even called Me at one point uh, because Gregory told uh, Brian that I was One of his favorite people and We had about a 45 minute Skype uh, session uh, back and forth, and and I asked him lots of questions about you know different types of drugs and and whether or not they could detect and was there harmonization amongst all the laboratories, water accredited labs, and of course the answer is no that they have different equipment in in Moscow than they have at the UCLA lab, uh, for example here in the United States, and then to the second part of your question, yes, um, this is. Uh, I forget, what was the second part?
3: Just, uh, do you think there's more than one state-sponsored doping program in the world?
4: the answer is yes. I I believe, and this is my opinion, that other countries like Jamaica, Kenya, China, uh, the United States back in the 80s, there there was, you know, when you say state-sponsored, well, I don't know that the state was giving them the drugs, but I believe that here in the United States back in the 80s, it was in, right before the Olympics in Seoul, Korea, which which I attended. They tested uh, 50 athletes, and they came back with 19 positives. Or, or, or no, no, wait a minute. It was 50 percent of out of 100 athletes tested positive, and of those, the the athletes won a total of 19 medals, is what it was. Excuse me. Oh, so they won 19 medals. So the bottom line is that we wouldn't likely have had a a team descended the Olympics in 1988 if they would have held those athletes accountable and, and, and sanctioned them or, or suspended them for using drugs.
1: So, Victor, you're coming down here to the fights this weekend, right?
4: Yes, I am.
1: All right. Well, I'll see you in a few days, Victor.
4: Okay. So, yeah, we've got uh, an interesting matchup uh There at the StubHub, it's Andy Vences and uh, Eric DeLeon, and they're both snack fighters, and and we'll be rooting for both of them. But this isn't the first time. You know, we work with uh, uh, Mikey Garcia as well as uh, Sergey Lipinets, and they're fighting each other in in Texas. And we've got a couple of other fighters, uh, um, Mario Barrios in Texas. So Saturday night will be a big night for snack fighters.
1: All right. (laughs) Victor, as always, thank you for the time. I'll see you in a few days.
4: Thank you, guys. And that
1: was Victor Conte, one of the foremost experts on this subject. And he says, yes, there is validity to the claims of Canelo. But, again, let's try to get more information. But uh, I do reiterate in talking to both Tom Loeffler, the head of GGG Promotions, and Eric Gomez, as of now, the fight is still ongoing for the T-Mobile Arena on May 5th. Gabe, let's get right into this because I want to get to the calls Showtime from the Barclays Center In Brooklyn, New York What an exciting fight, Deontay Wilder with a 10th round Stoppage over Louis Ortiz Gabe Did this expose Wilder or did it elevate Him this fight or both
2: I think it elevated Him you know it puts things in Perspective um, You and I have brought up the Harold Sconyers Fight probably more than anybody uh, You know we we happen to be there If you know if you didn't watch it live and uh, you weren't there. You, you, you know, there's no tape of it that I I've ever been able to find uh, if anybody's listening and they have it, please send it over. Um, but, you know, I always looked at that as like, Oh, he will inevitably get knocked out. But now when you watch him in that seventh round and he gets hurt as bad as you can uh, with a guy that's a knockout puncher, well-schooled Cuban and a Southpaw, uh, a problem all night long is all over him landing monster shots and Wilder pulls through and knocks the guy out, like, you know, several rounds later. Uh, To me, his stock went up. He is who he is. He's not, I'm not going to dock him points for not being technically sound. I mean, you know, you could point to other champions in history that did pretty well that were not technically sound, but were themselves. Uh, I think it was a great, great fight for him. The kind of fight that Anthony Joshua had with Vladimir Klitschko, he had with Louis Ortiz and and came out uh, looking just as good.
1: Last week I called Deontay Wilder, that 220 hitter that still hits 40 home runs. Well, on this night, Gabe, he struck out three times and then he hit two three-run home runs in the late innings to win the game. That's Deontay Wilder. He is what he is. He's not going to be any better technically. I don't think he's really going to improve technically, but he has the proverbial eraser. And yeah. Wilder is a bit of a train wreck. You can't keep your eyes away from it technically. But when he throws those right hands, and they're actually thrown properly once in a while, it is as lethal a weapon as that exists in boxing today. He doesn't always throw it straight. It's not always fundamentally sound, but there are times when he uncorks it, and it's right down the middle, picture-perfect form, and it detonates. And I give Louis Ortiz a lot of credit. However, Gabe, he's going to have a lot of sleepless nights, over not pushing the gas pedal a little bit harder in the eighth round, that WBC title was dead to rights.
2: Yeah, it was there for the taking and, and but it, I think it speaks to you know both guys were trying to to land that big bomb counter. Uh, and I think he gave you know Wilder some respect there uh, trying to trying to get a, you know uh, trying to get in there is easier said than done and you know I, I've, I've seen a lot of people dogging wilder's technique and you know he's a big guy so i think that every every mistake is magnified but he's also 67 he, you know there's probably going to be a little bit of awkwardness being that big uh, in, in watching a guy box but you know he he throws that that right hand in, in in different ways like you said it's not always perfect but i mean if i've got a giant rock on the end of a of a chain i swing it at you even if i'm not throwing it in perfect form if it hits you it's going to hurt and and you could just see uh that that right hand that he landed in the fifth that that put him down, uh, and uh, that he believed that it was going to find a home. And, and even in that fifth, you could see him start to dial in the right hand. He just Wilder didn't know how to get his jab going the way he normally does against a southpaw. But you know, it's not like he made history on on Saturday night being the first guy to ever struggle with a well schooled Cuban southpaw. Uh, it happens. Uh, I thought it was an excellent fight and and just very tense. Uh, we watched it at the theater, uh, and people that aren't you know normally boxing fans were sitting there watching. Uh, And and wrapped with it Because when guys are that big And and that much knockout power uh, There's just really nothing Nothing quite like it
1: As I wrote today for UCN Live Deontay Wilder is as dangerous as he is vulnerable And vulnerable as he is dangerous Uh, Leading off this broadcast For the interim IVF 168 pound title uh, Good job Leon Lawson could have came in With a baseball bat From underneath the ring To hit Jose Uskatagi. Gabe, I don't think it would have helped Andre Durrell Gabe, Uskatagi has really evolved as a pressure fighter. He has rounded out his skill set. But didn't Anthony, or excuse me, didn't Andre Durrell kind of look like a guy that didn't want to be in there from the very beginning?
2: He did. They were kind of fear punches, right? Just a little bit of oh, get-away get punches. get-off-me as they call them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah totally. You know? and, and, boy, Uskatagi, that, that guy just insisted on victory like, we're going to have a fight. This is the way it's going to be. I'm going to mix in all my punches. I love that, how active he is, but it's, he doesn't fall into a straight pattern. I think guys, you know, uh, these days, you'll, you'll see guys that you can tell how they train. They don't really let their hands go and fight at an up-tempo or train at an up-tempo. I bet you it is all over the ring at, at a high pace because uh, he mixes up his punches nice and, and, and that hides his power. Uh, you don't know quite when it's going to happen. and He just never let Darrell get comfortable or or untracked in the fight. And uh, it's a pretty rare thing to see a guy just come back and be like, arguing with everybody, like, no, no, really. I know I'm going to regret this for the rest of my life, but uh, I'll regret more, you know, if I go out there and get my ass knocked out.
1: Bolivita simply suffocated and pressured Durrell. And every single punch that Durrell got hit with moved him and affected him. Well, Andre Durrell would sometimes throw these fast, flashy punches, but but as they say in golf, um, you drive for dough, you putt for or you drive for show and you putt for dough. In other words, those punches look better than they actually were. It was almost like, hey, get off me! I'm going to give the impression that I'm fighting. I want to give the impression that I'm going to steal around. But two and a half minutes of every single inning was being dominated by Uz Katagi, who now with the interim IBF title is in line to face the winner of the rematch between Caleb Trax and James DeGale. Gabe, the guy that I saw on Saturday, I think he's a favorite over both guys. And you know what? At 168, I think he's even money with any current super middleweight in the world today. Yeah. I might be prisoner of the moment, but I'm sticking with it.
2: Trust your eyes. You know, it's, uh, you know, as you know, Pauly Malignaggi said, uh, Darrell is a superior talent. Uh, So, uh, you know, it wasn't easy what he, yeah, Uh, it wasn't easy what he did. Uh, But, you know, he's got the power edge over Caleb Truax. Uh, I think that's a good action fight, but I I I would go with him uh, in in that over Truax. Uh, You know, it's uh, got to be, I, I think, him and Zerto Ramirez, though, what kind of fight would that be like?
1: Boxer versus Swarmer. And based on my story with Sean Viva Gibbons, the two camps are already sparring verbally on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So let's get that fight going. If Uzkatagi can win an IBF title, that suddenly becomes a unification. Uzkatagi is promoted by Zanfer, which in the past has been partners for top rank. So from a political standpoint is very, very feasible. Gabe, moving on, uh, this same night at the theater at Madison Square Garden, Sergey Kovalev does the expected, uh, defeating each home-alone in seven rounds. But the story of the night is Dimitri Bivol moving on to 13-0, and zero scoring his 11th stoppage by knocking out Sullivan Barrera with a vicious right hand in round number 12. Gabe uh, Bivol, uh, this was, to me was his first litmus test, as he really raised his level to a certain degree. I'm high on the guy. Uh, I think this guy is going places, and he's going to be here for a while.
2: Yeah, I I just wonder about his face. You know, is it going to hold up? That hematoma uh, was not. You know, I don't know if that's going to be a habit. We'll see. You know, it was a clash of heads that that made that happen. Uh, you know, and the cut. You always kind of start to you know, you worry about a younger guy getting cut like that. Uh, but they, his corner handled it really well, and. You know, to me, it was like the Wilder fight, although, you know, Wilder's much deeper into his career. Uh, A lot of questions were asked, like the hard questions uh, of Bivol, and he answered all of them. I mean, and he went the distance. Uh, I love the way he stepped on the gas in the 12th, just said, all right, you know, I've been measuring myself for this whole time. Uh, Now I know there's only three minutes left. Uh, I know what I've got left in the tank. Let's go finish him. And he did. That's just absolute stud. Uh, To me, he went, he goes beyond the eye test in this fight. Uh, You know, he's now he's a problem in the division, somebody that everybody has to deal with. And, and, uh, uh, you know, the the main thing I want to know, the last question is, can he take a punch from a power puncher? I, you know, I think uh, he got hit solidly the other night, but pretty early on, I was like, Barrera's not going to hit him with anything. That's that's going to put this kid down. Uh, So let's see him against a power puncher
1: Sullivan Barrera is a physically strong, sturdy fighter But that strength doesn't really translate into punching power So you're right And when it comes to Dimitri Bivol His in-and-out movement, the way he controls distance in a linear fashion Is simply fantastic I think the next step in his evolution and development as a fighter Is being just a little bit more comfortable inside the pocket And perhaps digging to the body and that's part of the reason why they moved here, to get looks like that, to get the physical hard training. But I would say within a fight or two, he could start making the case that he is the world's best light heavyweight. And Gabe, I don't know if you read my piece today, but, but did you find the comments of HBO's broadcast crew a little bit annoying when it came to the Sergei Kovalev fight? That, oh my God, he's getting hit, and, it, and it's lucky that this guy doesn't have power. Uh, guys... If the guy had power and he was pale Donna Stevenson, maybe, just maybe, Kovalev would fight differently. This crew without Andre Ward, it's a little frustrating.
2: Yeah, I, it's like, they, I, I just don't understand. Uh, you know, I don't want to do a repeat of last week. You know, just see how we feel about the announcing crew. Uh, check out that episode. But I I, uh, I wasn't alarmed by, by, it's like, it's to at Kovalev. He gets touched. That's his style. He's not a defensive wizard. I thought he had more energy this time out. Uh, I know Vada did do testing, so I'm not trying to, you know, uh, throw some shade out there. But he did actually physically It looked like he did do something different in training camp, that he's a little thicker, a little more, uh, like I said, energetic. Uh, I thought Sergey looked pretty sharp and got the guy out of there. Uh, but, you know, uh, like I said, false narratives. Uh, maybe they need a, re- a reporter that can actually see the truth.
1: Yeah, and McCalkin's face, it's been a long time since I saw someone get busted up the way he did from clean punches. Uh, There's still no doubt about it, Uh, Sergey Kovalev, he still crushes a lot. He has very, very heavy, powerful hands, and my understanding is from Kathy Duva. Kovalev and Bebo, they're not on a collision course quite yet, but they will return sometime in July on a co-feature situation back at the theater at Madison Square Garden. Gabe, this Saturday night from the StubHub Center in Carson, California, it's a 50-50 chance of rain. Everyone, do your anti-rain dance, but we have a main event on ESPN for the WBO featherweight title, Oscar Valdez versus Scott Quigg. And, And, Gabe, I know you've been looking at the menu. Are you ordering the upset special with Scott Quigg?
2: No, sir. No, I'm sticking oh. with the chalk on this one. Ooh. I don't think he has, I mean, he hits strong, but I don't think he's, I, I just don't see him knocking out Valdez. He's just a strong young bull. Uh, I I think it. it it's going to be a tough fight though. I, I could see it going, you know, uh, into the later in, uh, rounds. Uh, and, and there, you know, Quigg, he's an experienced, sharp guy. I think he's hungry. That Frampton fight, I think left a, a bad taste in his mouth. Uh, he didn't perform the way he wanted to on the biggest stage. Uh, and this is a shot at redemption. And I, I think Scott's a, a guy with a lot of heart uh, and a lot of will to win. And so I think he's going to, he's going to bring it. And I think he's also arguably a better boxer than Oscar Valdez, who also kind of, you know, like a Deontay Wilder plays by his own rules in there. Uh, and is a little bit unorthodox and, and consequently is a little wide with his punches and, and open for straight shots right up the middle. It's going to be an excellent fight. Last two
1: bouts for Oscar Valdez, he was physically pushed by Miguel Mariaga. don't care what the scorecards say. That was a tough fight. And Genesis Cervania decked him. That was another tough fight. Scott Quigg, to me, is better than both those guys, except he's not a real featherweight. Physical strength and size matter, and I will take Oscar Valdez. But this is peanut butter and jelly, as I like to say. These guys are made for each other, and I think stylistically we are going to be in for a very fun fight. And moving on from the Freeman Coliseum in San Antonio, Texas, it's showtime for the IBF junior waltz title of the world. Sergey Lipinets, his hand is now back to normal size. He'll be taking on Mikey Garcia. Gabe, when Lipinets won this title in early November against that Japanese fighter Kondo, listen, I like Lipinets. I think he's been moved quickly. But the way he looked, and again, not to be prisoner of the moment, maybe it was just a bad night, but I've always said, Mikey Garcia is one of the special elite talents in the sport. Lipinets just didn't give me that feel that he was good enough to compete. Agree or disagree?
2: Agree. You know, uh, I mean, you know, maybe it was uh, you know, uh, a big moment for him, and so he fought a little more nervous than usual. Uh, that happens, You know, a guy doesn't handle – his adrenaline load and, and adrenaline load and, and gets a little tired and kind of uh, funky in the muscles, you know, get a little loose. Uh, maybe that's what happened to the guy because he looked better than that. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. I, I think it's interesting that both these cards made events kind of feature uh, were classic boxers against, uh, you know, guys that are that are kind of more unorthodox and fight in, in similar styles. Lipinets is a little bit of a of a cagey guy that throws wide punching shots and tries to overwhelm you with explosion and, and uh just his overall kind of energetic approach. Uh it's still aggressive too. Uh, you know, sort of like Valdez. But I think Mikey here is just just—he's too much of a sniper. He's a sharpshooter, and he's, he's going to uh, go in between those wide shots. I expect him, you know, the big question will be, you know, will he bring power into this fight uh, and, and be able to get Lipanet out of there? Uh, th- that, that, to me, is a big intrigue. We'll see. Yeah,
1: I, I get the sense Garcia is not a spectacular puncher at 140, but as was shown against Adrian Broner last summer, He's solid enough, and with his mm-hmm. ability to create leverage and punch through his legs and his core, trust me, if he hits you square, and this guy is a sharpshooting sniper, as you said, Gabe, he will at the very least stop you in your tracks. Let's get to the Twitter timeline before we get to the calls. That number three four seven two one five seven five nine eight. And of course, we start off with the president, Andrew V. Kennedy, who has a little bit of a statement here. Why is it so difficult? for wealthy top athletes with numerous nutritional resources to obtain protein that will not cause a positive drug test? Or does Canelo just prefer his steak from Applebee's? Applebee's <laughs> does have an underrated flank steak. I will say that.
2: I can't say that I've had it. But, you know, I, I, like I tweeted out earlier, it's like it appears that I actually put more care into the meat that I choose to put in my body than a multi-million dollar athlete. It just doesn't make mm. any sense. Like, I'm, I'm pretty particular at the grocery store about what I decide to eat. I eat mostly uh, – I would say it's pretty rare that I eat something that's not organic. Uh, it makes no sense to me that a guy with Canelo's budget isn't eating the best of the best.
0: Dave
1: says they are not going to cancel this fight. They're going to, are they really going to refund everyone's money, including my $700 ticket and my $900 hotel, hotel stay for this? Nah. Yeah, when it's all said and done, first and foremost, Gabe, boxing is a business.
2: If it was testosterone, and it was a TE ra- it wasn't the te ratio thing, but it was you know uh, CIR testing that caught him. How would people feel?
0: Who? Any
2: replies? Who? Do you call uh. the fight? Mm. I don't know. Boy, Golden Boy, yeah. i so glad they don't have to answer that question.
0: <laughs>
1: Here's a tweet from Carlos Rousseau. Competing Intra City cards worked out for me. Scooped amazing seats at ideal prices for B-Vol, Barrera, the Garden Theater, my favorite venue, bar none. Not a bad seat in the house. Catch all the best fighters when they're on the ascent. Who wins, even Heatrop or David Lemieux? Now, I know Lemieux might be on the May 5th card, which, again, we think is going to proceed. He Trump, Lemieux not a bad fight. Now, Gabe, here's another fight that I kinda like that I've heard of. How about Spike O'Sullivan against Lemieux?
2: Sign me up for that fight. I just that that uh, that just has a war written all over it. I just the thing with, with with Lemieux is is can he make the weight? He looked like crap in his last fight. Is it time to move up? Or you, you know, are you living well between fights? But he didn't look good to me the last time out. It's not like retire time, but you know, I, I wanna know about his weight situation.
1: Here's a tweet from David Baguetta. Um, Is this a case of contaminated meat or testing the boundaries and knowing what they can get away with? I can't see Golden Boy Promotions and NSAC slash Bob Bennett letting their biggest star, and in Bob's case, Cash Cow, go down for this. Huh. Yeah, I mean, listen. Do you really think the Nevada Commission is going to say, okay, that event that's going to bring in hundreds of million dollars of revenue to our economy, we are scrapping it. I, I, I don't see it. I really don't, well, Gabe.
2: No, and and you know there's a big difference between the, the two golden boy cards that got canceled in the early days of anti-doping the Matt Peterson Con rematch and, and uh, uh, Berto Ortiz too, um, is that the the press controlled how those stories got broke you know, uh, they, they were broken, you know, on, on max boxing on, and, and, uh, and then and the whole story was kind of laid out already. And so golden boy was having to be reactive here. They controlled the fall. And that, like I said, that press release, the, the first quote you read is, is uh, from the scientist who's saying, Hey, this is just contamination. You know uh, they really know they've, they've learned a lot since those, those early days. Uh, so there's just no way, but again, you know, if it was a different drug, Uh, Even if it was nandrolon, maybe it would be in the same situation where the fight would be coming forward. But any other thing, like if it was testosterone or EPO or something, the fight would be off, and I think fans would be fine. I don't know if they'd be fine with it, but I don't know. It would just be a different thing.
1: Yeah, and I want to make this clear. I want to say this again. Mexican boxers, you know the history. Don't play Russian roulette. Just wait to cross the border, across Tijuana, Go to the Sizzlers in San Diego or Outback Steakhouse and get a Bloomin' Onion with your steak. Don't risk it, because there's going to come a point in time where enough is enough. Now, luckily for Canelo, he's a big enough name that, let's face it, there's a sliding scale in terms of what's acceptable. Now, on that vein, Gabe, I've got to tell you, Louis Neri, I don't trust that guy as far as I throw him. What a travesty that took place in Japan.
2: Wow. And, and you know, like, again, if you put me in the same situation and go, what, what were your initial thoughts? You know, the guy misses weight that badly and his last time out was for a, a drug where you're, you know, that, that might help you have made weight. It just says uh, that looks like a pattern. Also looks like the guy may have out, out, you know, uh, outlived or, you know, the uh, the weight class or outgrown it rather. But, uh, man, it's just hard to watch that fight. I don't know if you, you actually went through and, and watched it. I did. Uh, you just kind of go, what am I watching? Uh, this just isn't fair.
0: Still, yeah, I, I and
1: Yamanaka had made it clear that, hey, I'm retiring after this fight. So, you know, you figure he had two months of his life. He sacrificed. He worked hard, wants to get paid. But there's going to come a point in time where fighters and their managements are going to have to say, if you don't make weight, we don't care if you give us your whole purse. We don't care if you double up what our compensation is. We ain't fighting. But, again, kind of there's immediate. a reality to this. I mean, Gabe, I remember being there for the aborted third fight between Corrales and Castillo. And when Bob Arum and Gary Shaw made that in- announcement in front of thousands of fans to tell them, hey, um, you know that great weekend you came here for, for this great fight? It ain't happening. It was one of the most desultory moments I could ever recall. So, the again, first it's easy fight I ever say... <laughs> yeah, it, it, so it's easy to say, do the right thing. You know what? In this business, it's kind of inconvenient to do so. But Louie Neri, in my view, Gabe, this is what the WBC, which is very pro-Mexican, needs to say. Louie, for two years, you will not be rated by us. You are not eligible just to move up and waltz into another title shot and resume your career. And in situations like this, Gabe, this is what I have a problem with when they, when you don't suspend guys for at least one year, when you suspend a fighter for six months nowadays, Gabe, like I tweeted a couple days ago, that's like suspending a starting pitcher in baseball five games. What are they really missing? What's the real penalty there?
2: Yeah, you know, it's I mean it's time away, it's activity, but still, you know, you could you could always use the rest as a fighter, or you can just stay in the gym and wait and. It's, you know, you you can get a, you know, a loan from the manager in advance and survive, but a year things change. The whole division changes. uh, Sport kind of moves without you and you get repositioned and it it is, you're going to have to get back in line after a year Uh, for penalties. I don't, you know, uh, to, to me, it's like you have to show also that there was some chicanery here. I mean, he missed weight badly. You know, what was, was the problem? Did they, did they, what was their normal protocol? Did they lose all the weight, like, on Wednesday, Thursday? When did they know that they were, they were not even going to come close to making weight? That, that, I, I want to know more of the story, you know. I'm sure we'll find out uh, more details as we move along towards the decision. 347-215-7598.
1: Five, five, we still have a fight review, fight preview, and news and notes. Gabe, let's get to the phone calls.
2: Yeah, be bold, Canelo, but also be smarter. <laughs> <laughs> 619, we're live on the next round. 619.
6: Hey, guys, hey guys, it's Juan from San Diego. So, oh, Juan,
1: hola. What's
2: up? hola!
6: Hola, amigos. Okay, yeah, so as I was t- saying um, on Twitter, Gabriel, uh, it's either an, uh, an IQ test, are you dumb, or do you <laughs> think we're dumb, you know? Uh, the, thing here, the thing here, and this is what I want to talk about here, uh, and you, you touched uh, right into that with Luis Mary. Why are they missing? Like wait for, with so you know by so much. What's happening? And I and I have a, a few friends that are trainers in, in Tijuana and in, and train a lot of boxers and you know are, are, are around guys like Margarito, like Arce, and guys like that, professional champions. The, the guys there tell me these kids are doing it from the beginning since they're young. They're using those things every day. They're used to it. So that's huh. why they're, they're using those things to make weight. So when they take them away from them, from them they can't make it. So uh, you, you're going to see kids like 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds, they're already doing it. And they, they
1: have so, that little Hold on, that, Juan. Let's
7: make this clear.
1: You, you, you really believe that there's a bloody glove and fingerprints here. You, you don't believe this. True. Of okay. course. I want to make that clear. And I'm going to tell okay. you why.
6: And I'm going to tell you why. When Luis Neri uh, came in uh, positive, I have a friend down there who taught me, of course he did, because he knows him. Of course he did. Everybody does it. They, they just missed it because they have a flag that they can use. Ah, it's the meat. They all know it. So just think of it. They're using it with kids, 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds. They, they use, you know, they're, they, they're used to it. So when they take them away from that, they can't make way. Wait, it's a Well, big think about this.
2: Look at the body types. Of of mm-hmm. Neri, but also of, of Canelo, who's beyond the pale skin and the red hair. It's kind of a unique physical specimen among Mexicans.
6: Super exactly. rich Exactly. You're not going to see you're not going to see and guys like that walking. Not even a boxer. What's,
2: what's <laughs> compl- <laughs> compl- clenbuterol used for in cattle? It's to make the meat leaner. <laughs> and you look at you know yeah. and it, you know, it burns fat off. Uh, but it also, you know, it, it has uh, anabolic properties that makes you stronger. And you look at Canelo and you go, huh, that doesn't sound like him at all.
8: Besides, Here's another
6: thing, Gabe. Here's another thing. You can get that uh, over the counter. I don't know if you remember, Steve. I, I, one day I sent you a, a picture of a pharmacy that was selling steroids. Like, I remember. Them. Yes. So those things are, are right there for the taking. These kids are, you know, most of them come from backgrounds that you couldn't even imagine. They, they listen to what their trainers give them. Like, they just listen and, and, and just do whatever they say. And I, I've seen it with my own eyes. And so whenever I see something like this, I'm like, dude, who do you think you're fooling? Like, remember Canelo weight? There's a reason for that. The guy couldn't make the 154-pound limit. He was struggling to do that for years. So he finally moves up to 160. Now he probably can't make it anymore. You see, there's a little pattern there. And uh, I, I don't know, dude. I, I I think they they just missed it. <laughs> but they had their own little system and just missed it. Yeah, they were probably tapering
1: off. And you know, guys. And this is not a foolproof way of doing it. But when you see Canelo at times, I'm just telling you, his appearance has changed to a point where you're like, huh? This is interesting. Interesting. And, and
6: I, and I was listening. It was funny because I was listening to to one of those kill the tape uh, podcasts, which is really funny. And they yeah, so that, yeah Cannello, yesterday in
1: fact, they were talking about it. They were
6: they were joking about Canelo's head, and I was joking with my brother, and he told me he he, he just tested positive. Like what? And I was like, dude, that was the <laughs> joke of the day. And, and and it happened. And we were saying he will never get caught because he's one of the guys that moves the sport. They won't let him, and he got caught. And that's what impresses me the most, that these guys, you know, they're so over themselves, they think they're so big, that they are allowed to be dumb enough to miss it. And that's what pisses me off, you know. Mm. And, and one, one, one more thing I want to talk about before, you know, I, I send it to call. Uh, Wilder, okay, I, I love the fight. It was a great fight. I, you know, we know who the guy is, and we won't go there. I just wanted to talk something I saw on social media, people complaining about uh, the referee giving him time in that seventh round, you know that they looked at him and gave him time to recover. Uh, I was thinking about that, like, much like the eight count, you know, the standing eight count, that you give him more time. And it's a rule, you know. They, the the doctors can look at him in New York.
4: But, yes, they
1: can.
6: You know, if, if the guy's so, like, so bad and in such bad shape, wouldn't be just stop the fight if you have to go that route? Right?
1: Listen, because you're... when I first saw that, Juan, I think it was for the Gervonta Davis fight where he beat Pedraza. I said, that is very dangerous because you might actually prolong beatings. Okay? The other part is when Louis Ortiz is buzzed at the end of a round, I noticed they didn't take the extra time for him.
0: Exactly. Sure. I don't like yeah. that rule
1: for a couple of reasons.
2: Well, that yeah, is. A- here's the other thing is like, okay, I'm, I'm fine with him. You know, you've got to check his eyes and see if he's got a concussion. Why do you wait till the end of the minute and then have him walk across the ring to you? I mean, maybe you're trying to check his gait, but, like, why not have the doctor go over there and be doing that in the corner in the minute break? Like, why do did, why did we have to get an extra break and let the guy recover? It's kind of part of the game. If you buzz somebody at the end of a round or you've tired him out and then you, you come on strong, I mean, it, it just it shouldn't f- screw up the, the flow of the game.
1: Yeah, it yeah, takes away an earned advantage, and that, that's what yeah, I thought it, was unfair about it.
6: If, if you already have the guy in a position like that, and you have to do that, I think that tells you that you need to stop the fight. If you have to do that because you're taking the advantage from the other guy. The other guy has him, has him. He already has him there. And you're just letting him not have him anymore. So I'm not complaining it's a rule, but I think that should be changed. As long as yeah, that's
1: all I nice. got. Right. Thank you. Juan, thank you very much. Three four seven two one five seven five nine eight. We have jammed up phone lines. Gabe, let's keep it going.
2: Uh, seven seven four, you're live on the next round. Hello?
9: Yes, hello. hello. Good evening, gentlemen. This is George from Massachusetts. How are you guys? Good. What's What's up, man? Doing well, thanks. Oh, nothing. Actually, (laughs) it's funny. I just heard the news about uh, Canelo uh, testing positive. Um, You know, it's kind of like the previous guy. You know, I'm not too surprised about it, but, uh, you know, the fight's going to go on. You know, I just think uh, it's unfortunate that all of these, all of these precautions are taken, to really, really no avail. I mean,
0: hmm. the
9: fight's going to continue. So, I mean, why do people really care that much about it? You know, I mean, are they just pretending like they care about it, or do they really care about it? Do they really care about, really care about a fighter's safety? You know, um, and and I yeah. think the, I think I think the Nevada State Athletic Commission, obviously, they're not going to stop that fight from happening. So, I think we have an answer as to whether they really care about a fighter's health, uh, the fighter themselves who's testing positive, and also the guy who he's facing. So, you know, regardless of the fact if they're Canelo or Triple G, that shouldn't matter, you know? If you test positive, you test positive. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, that's that's just my take on that, but, um, I saw the fight on, uh, Saturday. I didn't, I didn't have Showtime, but I was able to fight, uh, see the b and the, um, Kovalev fight, and, uh, that first fight was terrific. I that was a terrific fight. Um I thought Bivol showed just tremendous skill, man. That guy that guy has skills, and I think um uh, I think he would give anybody, anybody at 175, I think he he has a very good chance of beating any of those top guys, including Kovalev. I think Kovalev looked a little bit out of shape if you ask me when I saw that fight. He looked a little soft. I don't know if you guys noticed. Uh, I thought he kinda his... looked the way he always does though. He's never been that rip
1: shredded guy.
0: No, um, no my understanding I mean...
1: is is that they didn't get any southpaws. They had trouble finding left handers for this camp. Which is one of the reasons hmm. why Kovalev probably told Max, I don't think I ever want to face a left hander again.
9: Yeah, I don't know. I mean when I saw, like I compared I compared the way he looked against uh Andre Ward and against, you know, some of the previous fighters. He just looked a little bit more I don't know, it's a little bit more pudgy on the on the midsection. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he didn't prepare as well for this fight because uh, the guy he was facing was probably a good friend of his and didn't want to really, you know, he didn't he didn't have that mean streak. I think on on that night. So, but it was a good fight overall. I, but Bivol, he's the real deal. I think he could beat uh, Stevenson, Gwozdick. I think he can beat all those guys. So, um, you know, as far as like. Uh, Andre Durrell, thank God somebody finally beat him up. I <laughs> I I I I just never liked his style. I mean, he always seemed like I don't know. He always seemed like a complainer. Like that guy is always crying about stuff. I mean, nobody likes to watch that. This is boxing, you know what I mean? Like usually fighters should be tough, and I'm not saying Darrell isn't tough, but I mean just the way he behaves. You know, I just I just never liked it, and also. Obviously for Uskatagi is just that dude's tough man. He's a tough dude and um I think I think you're right. I think he could give anybody at 168 a lot of problems. So
1: yeah, Nothing in like my a... view guys, the two best fighters on Saturday night were Uskatagi and Dimitri Bivol. Uh thank you for the call. Please join us again 347-215-7598. Gabe, who's next?
2: Uh let's see. Um there he is, five three zero. You're live on the next round.
7: Oh, uh, hang on a second. Oh, <laughs> Robbie, what's guys? going on?
1: Robbie, what's up?
7: Oh, not much. Uh, what a day! What a day! I've had. Uh, I've had uh, all kinds of text on my phone about this. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> First of all, look. Um, we went through this uh, situation before, especially with uh, Francisco Vargas but that fight was not a pay-per-view fight. Um, so, you know, they could have sent a statement by canceling that fight and say, hey, guys, we're not going to deal with this anymore. But since this is a big-money fight, unfortunately, no message is going to be sent. Um, I'm wondering, though, what is Tom Waffler and uh, Triple G's reaction to this? Is Canelo going to have a financial penalty, or, is, I mean, is... Because it looks like, you know, you you have to wonder now, is Triple G going to be fighting somebody that has been doing something all along and we just now find out about it? What, what do you think about this? Yeah, I spoke with Tom. His,
1: his belief is right now we're going to wait for the commission, but Gennady is in Big Bear. They're going to act as if the fight's going to happen May 5th. He did not mention any restructuring of the contract. Now, maybe you could put in penalty clauses if he pops hot again, but again, I really don't know.
7: Okay, well, uh, I'm just, uh, you know, uh, I'm still absorbing this news. (laughs) Um, As far as this last weekend goes, you are absolutely right, Steve. Uh, Uskatagi and B-Ball were the stars of the night, although we did find out how Wilder could handle being in difficulty, but I think... uh, ball and uh, Uskatagi raised their stock. And uh, as far as Wilder's concerned, uh, all the boxing fans want to see Joshua next. But from what I'm hearing, uh, after Joshua beats Parker, uh, I'm hearing that he's going to be in New York in August to fight Big Baby yes. Miller.
1: August 25th. Uh, Jarrell Miller, my understanding is, The reason why he's been on these Eddie Hearn shows recently was a two-fight deal to be on the undercard and then to become the first New York-slash-American opponent for Anthony Joshua in the States.
7: Okay. Now, does that that also fit with him going over to HBO officially, or will that be on Showtime? As they say, to be announced. I think only Eddie
1: Hearn really knows. Everything okay. else is speculation. And
7: as far and as far as this weekend, if Gabe doesn't want to call the upset upset special with Scott Quigg, I sure will.
0: Oh, uh, I right. I think, uh,
7: I think Scott Quigg will give uh, uh, give Valdez all kinds of difficulty, and I think he's going to want to make up for his Frampton performance. It would not shock me if he walks out of the StubHub Center with a victory. Now, Steve. You say it's a 50/50 chance for rain. Do, do they have any alternative plans in case bad weather occurs? Because uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if the ring is covered. How do they handle a situation like that? You know, I'll ask. I'll ask Top Rank. I'm just hoping it? it doesn't rain.
2: It rained during uh, Mosley Mayorga.
1: No, 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 no. It was because that was in late September. The weather was perfect for that night. It rained before, and I mean heavily, light, was like light. that scene in Caddyshack where that priest shot that great round of boxing before he, before he was struck by lightning. It was <laughs> Vic Darchini and Christian Maharas in 2008. Oh, I God. mean, it was a downpour, Gabe.
0: Brutal. Yeah. Well, and, yeah, cold. and cold, are, by uh, the way.
7: Bring an umbrella well, you know, and a The StubHub is a great place for fights, so... I wondered if, if they had any uh, contingency plans since this is going to be an, a featured fight on ESPN. What you know? Yeah, how, I'm going to go dress like it's a
1: Gallagher concert. I'm mm-hmm. bringing the plastics, the umbrellas, all that stuff. Anyway, Rob, <laughs> yeah. wow, we got to get going. Thank you all very right. much. See you. Three, four, seven, two, one, five. Seven, five, nine,
2: eight. Gabe, who's next? Uh, You know, there was an interesting bit. Uh, I was listening to uh, Chris Mannix's podcast uh, after the Joshua fight, and he had Shelly Finkel on, who's, I guess, you know, co-manager or advisor to Deontay. uh, And he said that he'd had dinner with Eddie Hearn or Barry Hearn uh, uh, back in uh, late December, I want to say, or November. And they had talked about Vegas being the spot for that fight. That that Vegas would probably bring the most money. And do, I know Luda Bella was saying recently on the same podcast that Wilder Joshua probably wouldn't happen until 2019. So I'm just kind of throwing out a prediction that, that maybe that fight happens in Vegas, but it happens at that Raiders Stadium that opens hmm. in 2019. Yeah. Because it's That's kind of the best of both
4: worlds,
2: right? Yeah. It's, it's a stadium fight. But you know what?
1: Vegas. Until the Wilder side realizes they're not getting close to 50 50,
2: there's
1: well, going to be a huge he, hurdle.
2: That's the thing he said, though, was that, that Shelly Finkel was like, We're not asking for 50 50. We're asking for a good deal. Uh, that's what we're interested in. So I, I don't think that's going to be the impediment there.
1: Uh, remember with Shelly. He's great at telling half truths. Just trust me.
2: <laughs> I know Shelly Finkel. 347
1: <laughs> 215. 7598.
2: That's very generous of you. 423, <laughs> you're live on the next round. Hey,
10: fellas, this is Matt. How are you doing?
11: Good. What's, What's up? up, Matt?
10: Uh, not much, man. Just wanted to. Uh, I was ready to celebrate the great weekend of boxing we got, and I didn't even know about the Canelo news <laughs> until somehow <laughs> until the podcast. We hate to be the bearer part. of bad news, but that's our yeah. job. It's what we do, Matt. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, but anyway, it was a really, really, really fun weekend. And uh, Deontay Wilder, I think, answered a lot of questions. Um, I think he did make the fight with Joshua bigger, and it is kind of eerie or weird how the their fights, you know, their big breakthrough fights kind of mirrored each other.
0: Um, yeah.
10: Jose Uzcatagi, I, I want him to fight Gilberto Ramirez too, but I thought, was I wrong? I thought I heard him say David Benavidez after the fight, and when he said that, I was like, eh, well, that's good too. But
2: what do you, that is good, too. do that right? No, you're right. You're right. He did. I mean, he's in that universe, I guess. So, you know, maybe that's the deal he had to make, you know, in order to get where, he, where he's gotten. But pff, give me that fight. That's a, that's a fight of the year candidate right there. With
1: Bola Vita yeah. style, unless you're a complete stink bomb, I think every fight. is one you want to watch. I really like what he does in there. I mean, listen, he has what I call evasive aggression. I mean, Durrell, I think, was also very, very discouraged by the fact he couldn't hit Bolavita consistently.
0: And when he he did, it didn't
1: really
2: matter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I love the way he throws that lead punch and just kind of nice and loose. He just really lets his hands go. I don't think that's a guy that's on the mitts a whole lot. Uh I think, you know, he, he, he just really nice fluid style, super aggressive. And it's like you said, like his offense is his defense. He's just, uh, he he overwhelmed and, and uh, overheated Durrell to the point where he was like, screw it. I, I can't do this. Yeah. Yeah.
10: I, uh, I'm not the biggest Harold Letterman fan, but well, I mean, I like him, but sometimes I'm like, all right, Harold. But <laughs> he was like, Luz <laughs> right hand is glued to his face
0: <laughs>
1: I was like yes it is <laughs> Matt what were your impressions Of Dimitri
10: Bivol my third cousin Oh uh, He looks fantastic man He, um, You know that was a good matchup But it, it was also like well I hope Bivol's really good And boy he looked really Freaking good He he looks really dangerous um, When I, think he I saw Sullivan
1: on. Barrera's Face at the end Boy, he took a shellacking. I don't know if he'll ever be the same again. That was 12 hard rounds of just thudding, sharp punches. It'll be interesting to see if he's ever the same again after that fight.
2: I love his jab, uh... man. That jab that he started to step up, he kept it throughout, but... Uh, that really set up the end is just like a shotgun and just, you know, snapped his head back is really just bull strong and, and kind of deceptive because he looked a little bit like the smaller man in there, Bivol. He's not, uh, he's not a super ripped looking guy. Uh, It's almost like a Tito like that kind of smoother, but uh, really just absolute monster with his power. Uh, I just, I love the way he finished and the way he talked about it, that he knew, you know, what was le- what time was left, how much energy he had, and he knew that his job was to to finish in style. And uh, that look in, in Barrera's eyes, dude, he ain't gonna be the same. No way, no how. Yeah. Out. So Matt, quick
1: question. on Saturday. Which fight are you watching live? Which fight are you DVRing?
10: Oh, uh, remind me real quick.
0: Sorry.
1: It is the ESPN card. Uh, Valdez, quick. And then you also have the Showtime card from San Antonio with Miguel, uh, uh, Mikey Garcia against Sergey oh. Lipinets.
10: Yeah, uh, Valdez Quig. Okay.
1: Okay. Yeah. But, Matt, I mean, as always, I
10: watched everything that night.
1: Okay, absolutely. Matt, thank you for the call.
10: 347-215-7598.
1: And for the record, game, the ESPN card, the main portion – Starts at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Pacific, while Showtime starts at 10.15 p.m. 7.15 Pacific. We've got to make some decisions there, yeah.
2: Well, yeah. I, I know what you're you know going to be doing.
1: Well, yeah, but you know what? <laughs> Both these networks actually stream. Huh? What about that, huh? Home Blockbuster Video.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna have a little split screen going on on the the old laptop. Then you know, it, it's 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 kind of an amazing thing. I mean, even this this weekend, I was able to watch. You know, what's great about the Showtime app that I I didn't realize this uh, because the the fight uh, I think particularly with that little postponement before the Uskatagi fight uh, pushed it back. So uh, we watched the first four rounds and then we went on stage to do the show and I was able to pause the fight. And then come back later, and, and we were able to watch the fight. And, and it, it didn't like, you know, jump forward yeah. in the app or whatever. Uh, that's a pretty great feature. Wake up, <laughs> HBO.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Can you get into like the 2010s?
2: Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Can
1: we get into 2009? <laughs> Come on! Yeah,
2: help a anyway. brother out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm free after the tenth, though. So it's uh, it, it, and the so at least uh, I'll be able to watch HBO live again. But here we go back to the lines three four seven. You're live on the next round.
5: Hey guys, how you doing?
0: Good. What's up? Doing well. All
11: right, so I just called in. So a little didn't get to hear you guys. So it's about like the Wilder fight and the Oogs copy fight. Um. All right, so. You know, I'm hearing a lot of people saying that how, you know, the Wilder fight had, like, a lot of parallels to, like, the AJ versus Tuchco fight, which I do agree with. But I don't know if you guys feel like this, but when I watched that AJ fight and, like, you know, he got up off the deck, knocked him out, great, great fight. Like, I left that fight feeling like, yo, Joshua was the man. The Wilder fight, I left that feeling like, yo, this guy is really bad
1: Um, Can I tell you something? Right after the fight, and I admit I may have been overstating it a little bit as I was in a vodka-induced haze, I said that I liked Joshua huge over Wilder, and you would have thought that I gave the Black Panther a bad review the way certain people reacted, but I'll be honest. Do I think Wilder is a dangerous fighter because he's twitchy and he's powerful? Yes. But do I believe Joshua is that much better technically and fundamentally? Yes. I stick by that.
2: I came out of this fight more confident in Wilder, and I came out of the Klitschko fight and the next fight kind of like reassessing how I feel about Anthony Joshua. I'm not sure about that gas tank. When, when huh. he was hurt, man, I mean, Vladimir, just like, uh, geez, they, they didn't capitalize on the moment and step on the gas. But I've seen Wilder, I thought he was more hurt against Harold Sconyers, who actually put him down. Uh, this time around, he, he didn't get knocked down, and then he knocked out. Oh, by the way,
1: out. Gabe, we got to talk yeah. about this. What, what's your theory on Deontay Wilder looking like a very tall, light heavyweight at a very thin 200- 14 pounds.
2: Um, well, he said he got sick in camp and lost some weight, uh, so that's what he attributed it to. But yeah, he thought he was pretty light. But uh, yeah, you know, we wondered about you know his punch resistance heading into the fight. But I mean, he was fighting a well schooled 300 amateur fights Cuban southpaw who punch. Uh, who I think we saw glimpses of the actual him, who's 38 years old now, but he's able to get on his toes and, like, dart, you know, dart in and out, it would be a problem for anybody on any night. Uh, I, I think that, you know, if Ortiz is able to recover from this, he can still raise the stock of this win. I, I didn't – it's not like so, so, first guy to struggle with a southpaw. So,
11: and he so knocked him out. I'm getting this correctly – sorry, I just want to say, if I'm getting this correctly, it kind of sounds like Tim – thinks you know Joshua's going to win, and it kind of sounds like you think Wilder's going to win when they match no.
2: up. No, uh, I mean, and, and back me up on this, Steve. I've I've long bought stock in in Anthony Joshua over Deontay yeah. uh, Wilder, uh, like for like five six years or however long he, he's been a pro. Uh, uh, I've said that, but uh, uh, what I'm saying is I think it's a more even fight than people are saying. And I think that Wilder right. isn't as terrible as people are saying. He fights okay, in his so own gotta way. so i got to ask the
1: caller this. Does okay. Anthony Joshua, in your view, knock out Deontay Wilder in, let's say, the first four rounds of the fight?
11: Um, I'm going to say no because I think that fight is actually – I'm not going to say go to distance, but I think it's going to last a while. Kind of because – like, I don't know if I'm the only one that noticed it, but it kind of seemed like both of those guys over the weekend were, like, kind of scared of each other's powers. Like uh, Wilder, didn't well, that's really natural like though, though isn't it?
0: I mean, that's, that's, so that's why are... I think,
11: but that's why I think it's gonna last more than four rounds, though. They're they're both mm. really big countries. Okay. All right. Well, you're on the record. You are you are
1: not on the Deontay Wilder bandwagon. You've made that very clear the last couple of weeks.
11: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I actually thought that Ortiz was gonna win, so I'm a little upset about that. But, um, okay, but one more thing I wanted to um, just kind of talk about, Kim. I definitely disagree with you that,
3: uh,
11: I believe that's how you pronounce it. I don't yeah. think he's even, I don't think he's <laughs> sorry, that's a really friggin' hard name to, to say. But, man, uh, I eh, yeah, I'll pass. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I don't think he's even money with anybody. Um, I think, um, whatchamacallit, what's that guy's name, um, Benavidez will beat the hell out of him. And just to kind of touch on it, am I the only one that kind of – I'm not to the extreme that Paulie went, where I think he sent out a tweet or I think he said in the interview that Andre Durrell is the most talented that never won a major world title, like, ever. I'm not going that far. Oh, yeah, it was that
1: ridiculous.
11: was ridiculous. That, that, <laughs> listen,
1: both networks are really bad at the hyperbole. Seriously, it's not just showtime, but that well that was pretty eye opening. And wait a minute. You're saying that Bula Vita would not have a shot against a guy that just one fight ago went life and death with Ronnie Gavril.
4: Are you sure? Uh
11: okay. Alright, so let me ask you a question then. Do you think that um how however you say the guy's name, do you think that he can beat um Andre's brother?
1: Anthony Durrell?
11: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, yes. So who's the better the
1: Um, That's a good question. Who,
2: who well, is? Uh, <laughs> I really don't know.
1: I've really thought about it, to be honest with you.
2: And I, I would ooh, say ooh. Th- to the matchup with Benavidez, uh the, the, the weakness in both Benavitas brothers, but they like to fight on the inside and they, they tend to, to give up ground. You can't give up ground against Luskate. Uh That guy, that's what he's looking to do. Uh, I think it's a it's a hard w- win, but Benavidez is going to have trouble coming forward. Just,
11: yeah. Um, just anyway. just one, oh, sorry, just one last thing. I so wanted you guys go? Sorry. Just really wanted to know um, about the sanctioning bodies. Like, how, like does the money like kind of differ? Like, how much are the how much are the fees? And like, how often does that happen? Because I just kind of get like puzzled when guys just give up belts like they're nothing. Like, what well, kind of the parameters
1: is that? You, sometimes it fights, uh, like let's say a Golovkin-Canelo, they'll just take a capped. Number, but it's usually like around a, per- a couple of percentage points. But it's the price of doing business anyway. Thank you for the call three four seven two one five seven five nine eight. Gabe, a couple things here about that card. I sent you a text early on Saturday afternoon, and my source was right on. Charles Martin nearly stepped in for Louis Ortiz because <laughs> there was questions about his blood pressure levels. I think to me that totally vindicates. Louis Ortiz, doesn't it? The fact that they actually had to have this guy warming up in the bullpen the day of.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, apparently he's got high blood pressure, (laughs) you know, and it's not uh, it shouldn't preclude him from putting on a good fight or, you know, keep him out of you know being able to compete. Uh, He put up a good show. I I think he I don't think we saw the best of him. I I was I kind of wonder, you know, uh, should guys have 300 fights? You know, what's a good amount of pounding? Well, uh, for a long for time, he didn't have any choice. It's not like he could turn pro
1: at age 21. I mean, let's face it. He yeah. was uh, under a system where there was no professional boxing. Also, Bolivita, uh, with the B-12 shot and cranberry juice, I guess turned his piss into a very unusual hue. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know what that was all about. Good grief. Anyway, 347 five, 7598 Gabe, who's next?
2: Yes, yeah, send in Dr. Marquez. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll that one. <laughs>
0: 703,
2: you're live on the next round. 703? Okay. Uh, 281, you're live on the next round. 281.
3: Hey, guys, it's Nate. this is Nate. Nate. What's going on? Hey. How you guys doing? Good, talking yeah.
11: to you. Oh, so I was kind of like uh, one of the guys from before where I didn't, hadn't heard anything about Canelo today. Until uh, (laughs) until you guys came on, so
10: that was was kind of a surprise.
2: Um, Steve broke tradition and uh, called me and told me about it uh, that Canelo had tested positive. It was it was kind of crazy. You know what's funny?
1: When I got that email from Golden Boy, and it's a statement from Golden Boy, I thought it was going to be about Oscar's tweet this morning about Hey Deontay Wilder, if you want a real promoter so you can make real money, give me a call." And I thought maybe someone from Wilder's camp where Lou DeBella raised hell about it, about torturous interference, and that Oscar was going to have to clarify, hey, I'm not trying to steal anyone's fighter here. That's what I thought it was going to – when I read the statement, I was like, oh, boy. Oh, boy.
2: <laughs> well, let me so – that. But your point. Uh, can it be torturous interference if there's no contract?
1: Yeah, exactly. That's the, that's the thing. Who is his promoter? Who are you really stealing him from, <laughs> you know?
2: You're just offering Uh, your services as a promoter.
1: (laughs) 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 Well, he was with them the first 33 fights, for the record.
2: (laughs) Yeah, he was. Maybe they have the tape of Harold Scaniers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I
10: wish they could steal. I wish they could steal more.
2: (laughs) Right. Uh, Or steal them back or whatever. To to me, we're seeing the long-term answer to the question, can somebody promote from the shadows? you know, doing it this way, having somebody just worry about the events, but not build up the fighter as a brand, leaving that up to the fighter. Uh, and, and can you get a superstar out of that? The one thing Al Heyman hasn't done um, is develop another pay-per-view guy or force a, a pay-per-view guy on us. I'll give him that. Uh, but, you know, Deontay's what they did 14,000 uh, at least they had 14,000 in the building uh, at Barclays. Uh, and Joshua is going to have with Parker, what, how many people? Uh, you know, 80,000, uh, right. there's something wrong. Uh, what do you think, you know, you were kind of talking about this on Twitter last week, Steve. I was just thinking about idea and, and Virgil Hunter said this on leaving in the ring years ago. I think Tim Bradley may have mentioned it, uh, that the, like the black audience doesn't come out for the black fighter. And it got me thinking about why that might be. Uh, I have no t- idea.
1: And, and, and this goes right to what Abel Sanchez who I think made a mistake by, by, by saying what he said in terms of when you start making broad generalizations about race, yes. you, you get into trouble. But I also think that Abel needs to learn you don't talk to certain media members who have an agenda. Okay, there are certain guys I wouldn't dare talk to if I'm in his position. What Abel should have said was, yes, there's good black fighters. Errol Spence, uh, the Charlo brothers, or whoever. And, and, and then you say, but why won't their people support them? That's what he should have said. But, that's but here's the, real the thing question
2: is, is that when you look at two of the top black fighters, who are also two of the most excited fighters in the game, and also heavyweight champions in Anthony Joshua, and Deontay Wilder. Now, well, Anthony's had, from
1: the UK. That's a little different. That's a different so market. From,
2: well, that's right. what I'm saying. They're, right. both, they're yeah. both black yeah. fighters, and the difference is the UK is a different market. Fewer choices, uh, and also it, we have this argument about like black guys. You know, the big black guy, the heavyweight went to either you know, basketball or he went to football. Well, if that's true, then the black sports fan probably followed them.
1: They did, but you know what the truth is? If, and this, There's actually stats about this. Um, most ticket buyers in America for sports, you go to an NFL stadium or NBA venue, um, the, the majority is still white. But hmm. those, those are sports leagues. When it comes to boxing, in the past, blacks have had ethnic support. I don't know what happened to it, but but the thing that's where people are being very dishonest about this is that they don't want to get to the root of the problem and say, well, Al Heyman is the promoter and he's doing a bad job. If it was Bob Arum or Golden Boy, that they would be all over. They would be the first ones pointing the finger, oh, Bob Arum does not do with the black guy. He hates black fighters, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but because Al Heyman is African-American, it's like, oh, well, you know, uh, you know. they're not honest right. about it. And it is this the is an thing I was thinking
2: about, about is that, you know, it's all the trade-offs of the, the, the approach that you just tried to take. And I, I agree with everything you just said. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I wonder, looking back, if, say, like Deontay Wilder projecting forward, let's say he fights Joshua in a stadium in Vegas, wins, and then takes on, you know, maybe Fury comes back, and he's able to beat him, beats, you know, Joshua in a rematch, and, and starts making all this – the, the huge money that those kind of fights would, would come along with, then he becomes from the get go one of the best paid heavyweights from prospect to champion of all time, and it's a different story. But it sure is a long game at this point. At this point, yeah. It and look like and
0: money and, the and the thing
1: sports. that I would ask these guys, I keep pushing this agenda. Why don't they ever ask black fighters or their own audience? Hey, how come we're not supporting our own?
2: Well,
0: I I, I, mean, that, I think
2: it's I, that that they went to another place because the sport isn't really marketed to them. By and large, Mexicans make the 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 wheel go round in boxing. And you think about like the big when Tyson went to jail, we leaned on Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. and then you know Oscar De La Hoya carried the sport for many years. Uh, Floyd uh, you know held it for for many years, uh, but he you know he dovetails Oscar. But there was also Manny Pacquiao that was that was keeping the sport going at the same time. Uh, but the sport isn't generally, to me, as a whole, marketed to box fighters. Not in America.
10: Well, I don't know that about the the market. I mean, the Mexican fans are are uh, deeper entrenched in the boxing. I mean, just like if you talk, if you want to compare about compare Mexican fans for say soccer versus um, American fans for soccer, right? I mean, it's just it's just. Uh, deeper right i mean are there black boxing fans or are they white but yeah sure but not not to the same i think percentages or levels of, of the respective population so i mean anyway Nate, next, we got to get running yeah. we have a lot of
1: calls thank you for the call 347 215 7598 one more call and we'll get to some news and notes fight review and fight preview Gabe
2: 818 you're live on the uh, next round
12: Hey, guys. It's Gary from Valencia. How are you?
0: Gary, what's what's
2: up? up?
12: It's been a while. Uh, Thoroughly enjoyed both uh, HBO and Showtime's cards on Saturday. That was an exciting uh, heavyweight fight. And uh, my daughter was trying to get to bed. I'm sitting there yelling like a lunatic. (laughs) But, you know, Wilder, I agree kind of with your take, Gabe. You know, I come out of this thinking he's got a better shot of Joshua. Um, yeah, Joshua, you know, the youth won out in both cases. But I, I really, after the seventh round, was worried about Deontay's health, and I wanted them to stop that fight. And um, when he sat down on his stool, he just looked like he had nothing. And, you know, but credit to Dave Field, the ref, because, you know, he did have him looked at by the doctor. Uh, but then, you know, he was able to recover, and it was very similar to the Klitschko fight where, couldn't get him out of there and he recovered and had enough to win the fight, but,
2: um, you know, Who would you rather be uh, Anthony, to get behind. So when he was hurt oh, or Deontay Wilder, when he was hurt, I'd rather be Deontay Wilder, the way he handled it. Like it just yeah. like, cause Joshua looks like he was out of gas on top of being hurt. <laughs> he looked yeah. terrible even though he came back. That's what I'm curious about is their engines. I think Deontay might have For a better sure. engine.
12: Totally agree. And you know, I think it could be a matter of who lands first in that fight. Um, but yeah, I still favor Joshua. It's just that lot Wilder it has a good chance and you know, if I was his people I'd try and make that fight as soon as possible. And, you know, not delay it too much longer. It's just because you know, with heavyweights anybody can lose at any time really. Um but, you know, I went I was at Superfly and uh Miss, missed you in the Sevisha, Steve, but.
5: Oh, my night, God, it
12: was delicious.
5: <laughs> I went back and
12: watched it again last week, and seeing it live, I had no problem with that decision. I thought wrong was 175, but watching it on TV, I reversed that for Estrada and bummed that Jack Reese. I think that was a valid knockdown that he missed. It didn't seem like their feet tangled or anything, and. uh, that Estrada should have got a knockdown there. It, it, you know, it didn't hurt Sorong Vasai, but he was off-bounds, and he hit him with a clean punch and went down. But, um, I, you know, I definitely would like to see that again if, uh, if they do in the fall. And I still would love to see Inouye and Sorong Vasai go at it. I think that would be a hell of a brutal matchup.
7: Yeah, and I think uh, Inouye
1: has moved up to 118, though. So, you know, there yeah. you go.
12: yeah. Gabe, do you ever break out the fight night champion anymore?
2: Oh, man, you know, it's been a long time. Actually, no, I don't. Yeah. It's down in the but, storage uh... space. Uh, but, yeah, you <laughs> know, uh, those, those were the days. I, I really wish we did ha- get a boxing game. I remember talking to somebody at EA. This is like three years ago. And, yeah. uh, and asking about, you know, I think it was one of the UFC game was coming out. Uh, you know, what about the boxing game? And it's just too, uh, uh, too divided. It's, it's like too hard to go to each yeah. fight camp and make a separate deal with them because we're not a, a, a normal sport. But, you know, maybe somebody could call out yeah. Heyman and, you know, but, uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Something I, I mean, out. by
1: the way, what, what kept them from making a PBC video game? And something. you yeah. go back to the marketing of the fighters. Gabe, I see a lot of fighters now making their own merchandise, like Golovkin, Canelo stuff. Do the, the can you buy one t shirt from a PBC fighter that's licensed by the PBC?
2: Yeah, Seriously. there's no apparel. That is true. Why is there no? I mean, apparel? Danny
1: Garcia makes his own the DSG line, which is very popular on Twitter. Sarcasm. Well, because I, I, I mean,
2: not uh, <laughs> really. They're not really a league, so I guess maybe that's it. You know? know.
12: Yeah. I mean, yeah, what a bad managing of all that money. That's unfortunate. Those those guys really screwed the pooch. But um, thanks for the call, guys.
1: All right, guys. uh, Let's go to the Twitter timeline real fast here before we get to some news and notes. Uh, Easy Ed was here, and I just accidentally pushed the button. All right, Easy Ed says Wilder managed to tie up Ortiz to a degree when buzzed. With Joshua, I don't see that as an option. Don't think anyone in the division has the strength to do so. It's why I question his chances. Easy, Ed. I tend to agree with you. Gabe, I moving like on to the uh, fight review. Listen, Sergei Rabchenko was chosen for a reason. Cal Brook, though, Gabe, and this is a very short sample size, and it was a carefully hand-picked opponent. Technically and fundamentally, this guy's always been good, Special K. He's solid.
3: Dude, his
2: legs, like, his, he's solid through and through. Like, how did that dude make welterweight? He looks super strong. He looked good. A uh, little stiff up the middle. He can be touched. I, I was more worried about him being touched up the middle, though, because he had both eyes, eyes broken. Well, that's the question,
1: Gabe. <laughs> he could still shoot out punches. There's no doubt. I mean, his, his fundamentals are good. Like, you watch him and you tell a young kid, that's kind of how you want to do it. His stance, the way he holds his hands placement yes. of the feet and the technique. Again, we don't know if he gets hit again if he becomes a Cyclops. That's, that's really the big question there. Uh, moving on to the fight preview, some pretty good uh, underneath cards before the weekend really kicks off. Friday night on ESPN from the OC Hangar, Ronnie Rios takes on Azat Hobanesian, Then also Alex Rocha on the card, and Showbox from Debellawood, South Dakota. Junior welterweight battle between Regis Progrer and Julius Ndongo, Gabe, I think Progre has got a pretty high ceiling. I really like him as a
2: fighter. <laughs> you just say DeBella Wood? Did uh, I
1: say that? <laughs> I, did, I, did I say that? Really? Me? No. Come on. Wow. I did. Uh, I did.
2: Regis, Regis Progre. Why doesn't he fight more often? Uh, you know, I'll just complain about that because the guy is super exciting. Uh, but but man, wow. this, this is going to be a good fight. Uh, I think. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm picking him to win and picking him to win big. I just think Ndongo it's kind of straight up and down style. Uh, it, it leaves him wide open for a knockout, but the guy's yeah. my CTV.
9: And why did
1: program only fight once last year? Well, he was in Debellawood. A couple news and notes here, Gabe, it looks like there's life on May 12th. If E S T N can shift around some programming Lomachenko Lenar's might take place at an earlier hour allowing HBO and Golden Boy to do their replay of the Canelo Golovkin fight which for the time being is on God bless ESPN if they make this happen uh,
2: that would be a beautiful thing and I just don't in this day and age of a la carte viewing and, and people that binge watch you know all of Westworld or whatever uh you know all in, in just like a 12 hour span like, why are we worrying about the replay of a fight that happened a week before? Like, let's just let go the old ways of doing things, shall we?
1: Yeah. And if someone pointed out to me, go it Steve, it's not like they only show the replay once. <laughs> it's actually shown a lot of times after the original viewing on that Saturday after. And, Gabe, April 14th, there will be no Pac-Man. Manny Pacquiao will not be in, on that card at the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. Gabe <laughs> – the IRS wants its money. I don't think we're ever going to see Pacquiao fight again in the States. Really? Yeah.
2: Wow.
0: Well,
1: this is kind of yeah. like Joe Lewis all over again. The issues with the IRS and taxes and mismanaged money. I mean, Bob told me last week that he's got a group, uh, Manny man does, I and mean, by group I think he means Mike Kahn's, in Kuala Lumpur and China trying to raise funds for a big fight. So we'll see where that goes. And game was announced today by Showtime. And this was not a surprise to anyone with the IQ of 20. Omar Figueroa dropped out of his fight against Adrian Broner yesterday. But coming out of the bullpen, I believe, is a superior fighter and a better matchup, Jesse Vargas now will take on Adrian Broner April 21st on Showtime from the Barclay Center. And also on this bill, Will be Jamal Charlo against Hugo Centeno, and then Gervonta Davis taking on Jesus Cuellar. Gabe, that's a very good looking triple header. I look forward to that night.
2: Yeah, Davis Cuellar, that could be a, a fun little fight. Did uh, Figueroa injure his
3: discipline, or what What was the. <laughs>
1: they say the his shoulder, and I'm oh. just like, you know what? That kid needs help. He, he really does. I, I just. The guy has a DUI. I've heard it's not his first, may not even be a second or third. He needs help. Let's just put it that way.
3: Yeah.
2: You know, uh, that's just uh, the ship has sailed. You know, uh, you're going to find that, that uh, you're going to be stuck with a lot of regrets instead of accolades the way things are going. Mm. Uh, let's go back to 347 uh, 215
1: 7598.
8: Gabe, let's go to the calls.
2: Uh, it's been a week in the making. Uh, 978, you're
3: live on the next round.
8: Guys, what's up? Can you hear me? Jimmy, well, now,
3: I've got to get happening? your
1: view. You are, you've you been in the bodybuilding world. You've dabbled
9: with yes, some pharmaceuticals. Sir.
8: Yes, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. Give us your thoughts. Not...
9: All stage is right. yours.
8: Listen,
2: He might be high right now.
8: I... <laughs> <laughs> Still, I am, actually. Only I am on life. Science. Well, I'm on my meds for the whatever, you know what I mean? and I'm a little goofy right now, but no, seriously, I mean, I can even DM you a picture from me back in the day, so you know I'm not talking any poop. I took pretty much everything except for HGH. When I tell you computer all in the 90s was like M&Ms. My wife, Ah. who didn't even smoke weed, took it before the wedding to get lean. And I'll tell you this, and I'm not a reporter. My opinion don't mean dick. I'm just some jackass in Boston, so it don't mean shit. But if anybody thinks that Canelo wasn't fucking juicing, I only tweeted that, oh, I'm not accusing. Bullshit. I did steroids enough to know, and I I was good enough where I'll tell you names. People can look them up online. Scott Hagen, Mr. New England, Craig Torres, IFDB Pro. I wrote up this juice thing. I got real good at it. And at the end of every fucking cycle, because what happens is two drugs you got to take. One's got to kick your nuts back on because they go dormant because you're taking in artificial junk. So you don't need your own balls. That's why your dick, everybody says, oh, you get a little dick. No, your dick don't fucking change. Your balls go up inside you because they don't have to be used. And the longer you stay on, the longer it takes to kick your nuts back on. And so you take this drug that kicks your nuts back on. But what you want to do is you want to keep the gains that you're going to lose. So one of the only drugs, because Clombuterol is great for two things. First off, it's out of your system in four to five days. And I have a fucking cop friend who was taking fucking boatloads of it, and he got told by the BDA that he was gonna fucking be tested in three days. We fucking set three bags of fucking solution to him. He took a couple over the counter GNC drinks and he pissed clean. So listen, and um, so computerol, you take it at the end of a cycle to keep your game. That is fucking in. That is in the Bible of Dan Duchesne's 1991 Steroid Handbook Bible. At the end of every cycle, and a cycle is just a period of time you're on the drug. It could be six weeks, it could be six years. And, you know what I mean? So, fuck that bullshit Come computer. Listen, this dude, you see that his, his train of making those fucking flank chefs, that are, you know, cooking that food in the HBO special. You really think he's swinging around some local fucking, you know what I mean? It's a place down there with a spinning wheel and the AC that doesn't work. Come on. He's getting the best steaks and shit. It's a perfect excuse. it's to me. You know what I mean? Let's just be fucking honest. But listen, if, if Triple G wanted to be a cocksucker about it, he'd just say, pull a hair follicle. The throat and a gas spectrometer, it'd break it down to its fucking absolute yeah. top chemical level, and it'll tell everything he's done for the length of the hair. It's literally a fucking... It's a map of everything you've done and it breaks it down to the chemical level and you can't hide it. There's no masking it. So there's nothing to be done. The way we were pushing uh,
2: carbon isotope ratio testing in 2012.
8: Exactly.
3: uh, I I think that the the, ball,
2: (laughs) yeah, the ball always moves forward, you know, and and when Francisco Vargas went into this problem in 2016, I wrote about it in the hair test And, and you know, I, I think the more you move ahead, like you're saying, like you, you know, you know, the methods you, you've, you've seen this This is ridiculous. And it's kind of how we look at meldonian, right? Uh, all of a sudden it's banned, and all of a sudden you have positives from amateur hockey to professional tennis.
8: Uh, do you think because it works? Meldonian's Probably same, it's, it's the same, it's <laughs> the same, Listen, you would use that meldonian. you would use that in the same way you use Clombuterol, and I'll tell you. And he's lucky because he's red haired and not. But I'll tell you, you want to ever seen, I could spot him in a gym a mile away. Whatever body muscle they're working, they're working the shoulders, bicep, whatever, it turns bright red from all the niacin that gets pumped in. But that's, that's that. So listen, I know you got guys, and so I'll try to buzz through this. About the Wild Ortiz. Okay, here's my thing on this. First off, I leave that fight with more an answered about Wilder because he came through adversity. I wanted to see if he could do that. He was out on his seat. And he showed grit and determination. But if you really, get, if you're honest, we all said he was going to win. We all picked him by knockout. So you know, what I mean, what question was answered? The answer to me was he could fight hurt. But I want to address the Ortiz thing. He was a great um, Cuban amateur. I don't know. I couldn't find many film on him as an amateur. But if he was really as polished as I even gave him credit for, he would have known what the fuck to do when he was hurt. He didn't even make an attempt to tie him up. He just put his head up on a platter. It was crazy. I was watching yeah. a couple of fights, and like, wow, he didn't even make an attempt. You know what Yeah. You mean? Well, then, but the way he
2: caught him, I mean, he he really hurt him. You know, it, but, but, the, even, the, but
8: instinctively, Gabriel, you get if you fight enough, instinctively you get run, you grab the dude. You just do it. I wonder I just if that's the curse, because
2: he, though, because uh, like the curse of the puncher, you know, because the the way the way Ortiz fights, is like he's looking to counter, like parry your shot and come back. And so, yeah, he didn't. You'd think a guy that with that many amateur fights would know to freaking hold on.
8: And it was the first time he's ever so hurt. Instinctively, he didn't do that exactly. So, no, because he was knocked down before. So, um, and another thing too, he's oh, 47 pounds, right? So, his 41. I'm gonna tell you, I don't think he's what's that? I thought
2: he was Hello? 241.
8: Oh, sorry, 241. So he's a big dude, right? I think a lot of his punch power comes in just his size, because a lot of his punches were arm punches. You know what I mean? He doesn't snap at the waist and a lot of more, boom, boom. So it's a lot of that big just 240 pounds coming into your dome where Wilder yeah. has that snap, that fucking at the waist, boom, boom, dynamite. I'll tell you, that kid's got fucking dynamite Jimmy, hands. He impressed, yeah. real quickly,
1: your thoughts yeah. on Dimitri Bivol. All
8: right. My thoughts on this kid. Wow. Hey, listen, I know this. people are going to say, wow, what the fuck? It's a weird thing to be here, too. I'm into fencing. I, I'm fascinated by it. Really? If you look at the world, yes. If you work at the world level, these elite guys, fencing's all it's your lower body. It's all yeah. feet. Boom, you dot in, parry, bang, you dot out. It's all footwork. If they show they have classes on the footwork. And he's the closest embarking to that. The way he just rah, boom, dots in, rah, rah, boom, boom, And he's always got the right range. And to pull that kind of power in the 12th round against a tough Dude. kid. Wow, yeah. that was impressive. I'm, I'm impressed by him. I'm, I'm I didn't watch the Kovalev fight because I just am not going to bother. You know, Christ, do I want to see somebody get beat up? I'll just drive down those projects. Come on. Come on. You know, <laughs> on.
0: Of a, of on. You like know what I mean?
8: And, yeah. Um, and, uh, well, so, oh, hey, listen, real close. I just found out from you guys saying this. Imagine being in the audience, right? You just paid. Couple of grand. You get some chickie, you're talking about this fight? First guy's gonna fight good. The music starts. The lights go out, and you see a crown come down the fucking runway. Oh my god! I I fucking probably would have shot him. You know what I mean? Prince Charles coming out. Of, you know what I mean? You wouldn't expect you know, oh, yeah, it. Oh yeah. Geez, but um, hey, before I go, two guys, uh, I because I didn't get to talk last week, and uh, I just wanted to say, that, that tailgate party you went to, that thing looked insane, and I saw that one of your loyal listeners, Mike Brown, was there. And, Mike uh, Brown the 90- and
1: our uh, man from Jacksonville made
8: the trip. What, Jacksonville,
1: Florida, Jimmy.
8: Yeah. Was it one Brad one from Jacksonville? I met on too. Oh, yeah, right. our boy Mike Brad, bad Brad. 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 Yeah, Mike's a great, <laughs> great guy too. But um, yeah, sorry I rambled. I'm t- I try to just get it in quick for you know my thoughts. But uh, oh, I didn't come um, on. And now uh, the drugs, yeah. too. That that's got to show. That's got show. Listen, that's your third time. Third time at Barclays. And you're fighting your best opponent. They had celebrities in the house, and you're still four shy from sellout. And the guy can fight a fire hydrant in London and fucking pull 60,000 people. You know what I mean? I'm just saying in perspective. I'm not saying it wasn't a bad crowd. I'm not shitting on that. 14K is 14K. But if you're not selling out the building on your third rip, and, you know, I'm just saying in perspective to AJ. that, That big dude over there is a phenomenon going on, you know? But so obviously yeah. he's gonna go with. But I think they could pull it to America if the money's right. But uh, so listen, hey, Canelo's dirty as a motherfucker. Simple as that. <laughs> I mean, Everybody says. Wow, um,
1: Jimmy. You know what oh, I mean, but, uh,
8: pull it, pull ahead, gentlemen. Allegedly. Pull <laughs> ahead. <Yeah>, allegedly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pull ahead. All right, gentlemen. You guys have a great week. All right, be safe. All uh, right, that was
1: Jimmy's corner bringing the heat like Goose Gossage in 1979. Wow. Wow. Be
2: bold, Jimmy. Be bold. <laughs>
7: <Hello>? <laughs> wow! Uh, Jeez.
2: Wow! Five eight five. Uh, you're live on the next round.
7: Oh, I didn't
13: even know I was plugged into this. But uh, hey, guys, it's Jake from Rochester. Jake, what's up? <laughs>
0: How
13: you doing, man? Hey. Good. Um, well, I mean, I didn't press one on the keypad to come in. I was just listening. But I guess I'll comment anyway. But uh, um. The, uh, the Wilder Ortiz fight, I, I agree with Steve in that uh, it, it made me switch my pick, excuse me, from uh, Wilder to Joshua, but not for oh, really? really the same reasons as Steve. Um, more to the fact that I picked Wilder mostly because he's so much more active than Joshua is. And when he faced when he faced Ortiz, he was so cautious, so afraid to get countered, that he, you know, he was very inactive. Um, he's very twitchy, like Steve said, and um, you know, can always land that big bomb. But I, I just, I just see Joshua outboxing him and and um, and not and, and making it to the final bell. Huh.
1: Interesting. Now, Jake, your thoughts on the HBO card if you have any or Jose Uskatagi
13: oh, I like I like Uscotagi. He kind of reminds me of Pirogue a little bit. Huh. Um, interesting comparison. You're right with that
1: kind of in and out fluid style. Yeah, that's 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 an yeah. interesting comparison.
13: And uh I I would like to see him mix it up with the rest of 168 pounders like you said uh, He's with Zamper, and uh, they have a good relationship with Top Rank. Hopefully he can uh, beat either Degal or uh, Truax so we can we can see a unification fight out of that. But, uh, yeah, Andre Durrell is probably the most disappointing athletic talent maybe I've seen. Um, uh, he's got all the tools physically, but, you know, just had a very strange – like I, – I, I, uh, I don't know. I I don't want to use these terms, but it it felt to me like there were moments in his career where he acted very cowardly. Um, And, you know, I I, I guess some people are just not born with the heart of a fighter. Um, I don't don't think he was. And that was, that was his, that's his major flaw, I would would say. Hmm. Interesting.
1: You look at the number of years he's been a pro and the number of fights it's almost like he had half a career. It's just bizarre, you know.
13: I don't. I don't like to call fighters cowards. Like, you know, they're they're fighters for a living. But you know, if you're getting paid six figures, maybe seven figures, if you're a really good fighter, and and you're not sort of, I, I guess, ready to uh, really dig in and fight. I mean, that's a lot of money. You no, know, you're you're you're. I, I,
0: that is acting
3: cowardly to me. So you know, uh, I guess that's
1: that, a little harsh. I I wouldn't go that far, but you know, I I do I think, think he did not live up to expectations. Gabe, I'll say that.
2: Yeah, and some guys have a threshold for the damage they're willing to take. Um, he's also had you know, just had a strange career, getting knocked out uh, in strange ways. So uh, I think maybe some guys just yeah, they're, they're you know, they like courage is on a spectrum. Uh, his threshold for you know, wanting to you know, take damage to go for glory is, is lower than other guys, I guess. Uh, he's just also like, like a Kermit Cintron, uh, just cursed with bad luck, weird luck. Some guys are like that.
1: Anyway, uh, Jake, we got to get running. Thank you for the call. Gabe, we have six minutes to so try to stick in a few more calls here.
2: All right, then uh, 951, you're live on the next round.
1: 951?
2: Or not. Or
3: not. Uh, 909. 909?
9: Hey guys, it's Mario. How are you guys doing? Good, what's going on?
3: Hey, I had a quick question.
9: Um, <clears throat> you know, now that this year, you know, and I, I was cheating off of that last year, they're doing the fights, they're doing the great fights, Like, but they're not doing anything to capture new fans. Like, they're making the good fights, but what can boxing do to, you know, to capitalize on you know these big fights to create new fans? Because, when I got into it, I I saw a fight and then it was like a rocky moment, and then ever since then I've been watching boxing. It's amazing, but I don't know how do you capture new fans for like a brutal sport like boxing. Um. Well, you
1: know what? I don't like I don't like the fact that all the fights were happening in like five venues. Let's spread the love a little bit. Hmm. That's one thing I would I would think. I I don't like the fact that. The Golovkin's now turning into a Vegas B-side, you know? I, I've been pretty loud on that. I, I'm not a fan of this going to Vegas. I, I think Vegas it comes at a cost to the sport of boxing in certain respects.
2: Yeah, I would have loved to have seen the rematch be in uh, Dodger Stadium. You know, yeah. to it, uh, you know, Mexicans love them some baseball, and they love them some Golovkin, and they absolutely you know, love them some Canelo. It just seemed like a natural uh, but, uh, you know, Vegas. And you, and you do a stadium thing, all of a sudden you create an event, and that breaks through, I think, out to the masses.
7: Because I did notice
9: in the beginning when PBC came out, they, they kind of changed the format they were used to from HBO and Showtime. You know, they took the ring girls out. Even the announcer wasn't in the ring, it was
1: outside. Yeah, that, that was a bust. That, that was a disaster. That was a Hindenburg. That, 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 that was shit. And let's just be honest about that. It didn't do anything. That that made them mockable.
2: I'm curious about uh, you know, just speaking like you, you are Steve, just believing in the regional fighter, uh what Jose Ramirez, you know, versus Amira Mom is gonna be like. Like are are they giving something up by ignoring you know, will his fan base travel to go see him? Yeah.
1: Well, I, well remember that's a small room and, and let's be honest, a lot of those tickets will be sold for one Michael Conlon.
2: Yeah, that's true. On Saint
1: that's Patrick's true. Day, so I, I yeah. think that'll be okay, but again, yeah, you're right. Would it be a much bigger audience in Fresno? Yes. No doubt about it.
2: That thing's like a Benetton commercial in terms of uh, you know, nationalities. So Ramirez <laughs> versus Ahmed <American>. The <laughs> U.N. <laughs> I remember Benetton.
1: Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh,
2: Alexei Gorodnik uh, against uh, Mehdi Amar. Uh, Felix Verdejo versus Ant- uh, Antonio Junior. Christopher Diaz, Miguel Beltran, and Teofimo Lez versus Wild Madera. Uh, yeah. And then Michael Conlon. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, you know it's. Uh, right. Is there anything
1: else we could do for you, sir?
9: No, just kind of a thought experiment. Kind of. I want fucking right. to succeed again, but you know. I
1: can't disagree. All right, thank you for the call. Gave us sneak one more in there. Uh,
2: all right. Uh, where is it? Nine one seven. You're live on the next round. Nine one seven.
5: Good evening, game. Good evening, Steve. How you guys doing? Good. You Good got evening. about a minute and a half. Go. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm racing the car. I, real quick, uh, Steve, how do you feel about your Korean brother from a Russian mother and his performance? Oh, well, he's actually a
1: Korean mother with a Moldovian father. But, yeah, I think B-Ball. I, know. I, think,
5: I know, But it sounds better the way I said it. You know. It does. Yeah. <laughs>
1: mine was off. I think B-Ball is the real thing. I think he's got real staying power. And if he evolves a little bit more inside the pocket, and becomes a little bit better body puncher, I, we are looking at a very, very good fighter.
5: Agree. Now, the only thing, the only question I have is, uh, as far as I like, kind of his attitude after the fight, I mean, you put him on the undercard for a, for a Sergei Kovalev fight, I'm thinking, you know, they're trying to set it up for a match. He didn't seem like he was too eager to fight him, and then neither did Kovalev. Like, what's up there? What's going on there? And well, they made the it
0: clear.
1: I know people aren't going to like this. They're not going to fight each other this year. They're not. So that's not even on the radar. Keep this in mind. He only has 13 pro fights, Dimitri Bivol. Right,
5: right. I mean, that's cool. I'm not too crazy about that because we, we, we can let that marinate. I'm cool with that. But let me ask you this. When did, when did all of a sudden Arder or Better BF stop being a boogeyman at 175 and out of nowhere with was Dimitri Bivol?
1: Well, I mean, because his career him? ended. I mean, he went to the PBC <laughs> and, and he, he went to P-Bolivian C. I mean, I, I believe they're in litigation, and he might get his freedom, and then he'll go over All to right. top rank, and then that
5: career can resume.
2: It's premier Bolivian champions?
5: Yes. Yes. Glad you caught that. That messed that mess him up. Is, is he with top rank right now, Bob Adams? No.
1: He, I think that if he's able to win the litigation and separate right. himself from the PBC and uh, Yvonne Michelle, it's a fait accompli that he will be with top rank. But there is still litigation ongoing.
5: All right, all right, well, listen, I don't want to be stingy. You got one more minute if you want to get another call there, you guys. All right, CJ, uh, thank you for the call.
0: Thanks.
1: All right, well, that was a very, very eventful show, and we'll wrap it up. We've reached our two-hour limit on behalf of Gabriel Montoy and rest of the Leave It in the Ring radio network of David Duenez. This is Steve Kim saying, till the next round, goodbye, everybody. big canine Kim. can 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 can
0: can Pick up, pick up the